This film is lit, the podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian. I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. Look, some of us are lazy, all right? If by lazy you mean wrong. Prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide whether the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers. Because guess what? This film is lit. At the beginning of the film, Tonks tells Harry we'll explain everything later. Surely they must not have meant in this movie. It's Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the movie podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books, not the movie. It's not a movie, not yet. Uh, unless somebody buys the rights uh, to our podcast to make oh, a movie. That's of. very hopeful. Of yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we're back on Harry Potter after a brief venture into uh, children's literature. Well, this is also children's literature to some extent, but uh, into our brief foray, foray into picture books, picture books, where the wild things are. Uh, you can go check that out. Um, that was our last episode. If you haven't, if you're just around for Harry Potter, we're going to get into it. It's going to be another big, long episode because... Oh boy. These have, it's once worth these big, from four on, they turn these into, hopefully seven will be a bit better because it's a two-parter, two movies. Yeah. But these early, or these fourth or six, they cram a lot of, they try to cram a lot into a very short amount of time in the films. Uh, this one's only like two hours and 20 minutes, the theatrical cut, and this is an 870 page book. Like, this book is a brick. Yeah. It's bigger than some books I had for grad school. This is, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. And so the fact that this is actually like shorter than Goblet of Fire and probably shorter than of the later ones. It's one of the shorter of the movies, yeah. like at 220, which is wild for the like the longest book. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we're going to get into it uh, uh, with better in the book, better in the movie. The book nailed it. All of our normal Harry Potter segments are not necessarily our normal segments on the podcast but there are normal harry potter segments and like i said we have a lot to get through so let's get into it and start like we always do with muggle questions muggle non-magic folk brian katie once again thank you for having me on this film is lit harry potter edition as always my disclaimer i may ask a really dumb question just tell me if i do i also may ask a question that will be answered later on just tell me if i do you don't have to answer it yet i'll wait first question why did the dementors Come for Harry, seemingly seeking him out. All right, so the Dementors came for Harry in the beginning of the book and the movie uh, because Umbridge sends them after him. Yeah. Uh, it's not explained in the film. Yeah, we find that out in the book. She reveals yeah. unintentionally, I think, yeah. kind of. Well, she kind of villain monologues, doesn't That's she? That's true, yeah. Um, that she was the one who sent the Dementors to try yeah. and discredit Harry's name. Yes, because as uh, established in both the movie and the book is that the Ministry is not buying Harry's story about uh, 
Voldemort being back, Harry mm-hmm. and uh, Dumbledore by extension story that Voldemort's back, and so they're trying, and they don't want them to keep spreading that message, so they're trying to discredit them. Yeah, they basically launch a smear campaign. Yeah, and and Fudge, I think, wasn't even aware that uh, Umbridge sent the Dementors. That's from what kind it, of the vibe I get. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, Fudge, the Minister of Magic, had no idea that she had done this, but uh, he was very happy to try to use this to get Harry expelled and kind of yeah. rub his name through the mud so that people don't like, oh, he's talking about Dementors and in his town and, you know, that sort of thing. So that's where the Dementors came from. Yeah. But again, the movie does not. Yeah, the movie does not explain that. How safe is Harry at his home? Uh, He's at least safe from Voldemort. This is interesting when you answered this one, because I agree. It's uh, it's at, not as... At Dumbledore... um protagonist monologues this at the end of the book he explains this uh the reason that harry has to live with the dursleys is because uh dumbledore enacted this kind of ancient magic when he was a baby almost like a blood magic it sounds like so because harry's mother died to save him he is protected by that as long as he lives with her sister aunt petunia because she carries his mother's blood Mm -hmm. now i'm not 100 percent on how this protects him from death eaters no that's not really explained and you would think that because the it is implied that and what dumbledore says is is that it's an extension of the ancient magic that actually protected Harry, which yeah. I don't know how much we've even gotten of that in the movies, that that's why he survived. Right. Other than they say that his mom died for him and like that protected him. Cause I can't remember how specific, how vividly they get into it. But in the books, it, over the course of the books, it becomes very clear that this is not just that she died for him mm-hmm. and that like somehow that love saved him or whatever, but that it's a very specific form of like ancient blood magic because of she was offered three times there's even more specifics yeah. than what it at first appears that she was offered to not you know to stand aside three times but then she did it and that sort of invoked some strange ancient magic that Voldemort didn't think about because he's that's not right. he knows all about all magic but that's an old he, forgotten he, he, he doesn't understand love sorry yes and not forgotten idea. but yeah, yeah. Uh, underestimated yes um, type of magic and then that Dumbledore does something to extend that onto the uh, Ampetunia. Yeah and now maybe he's just more safe from Death Eaters there because they might not be looking for him in right. the middle of Muggle suburbia. Right. But but yeah we yeah. don't know if he would be <laughs> safe from Death Eaters. The idea is just that Voldemort can't touch him. There. Right. Who the hell is Mrs. Fig? Has Mrs. Fig been in the books previously to this point? I don't remember her from the movies. Was she in the movies? Miss Fig has been mentioned in every book uh, leading up through up till five. Yes. Uh, she's not been in any of the movies to this point, at least not in any of the theatrical cuts. She may have shown up in like a deleted scene, but I doubt it. Uh, but she, for the longest time in the books, was just the weird kooky cat lady neighbor mm-hmm. who the Dursleys used to have Harry go and stay with whenever they went out of town or yeah. went like when they go for the in the first book, when they go to speaking of crazy cats. When they go to um, the zoo, they were going to leave him with Miss Fig, Fig, but she breaks her hip or something and can't take him. Um, And Harry doesn't really like going there because he said the place smells like cats and she's kind of weird and just shows him pictures of her dead cats and stuff uh, and gives him like stale cake or whatever. Um, But we have no inclination that she's any in any way related to anything other than just being the neighbor until this one when it's revealed that she is, in fact, a squib. 
uh, but and a wizard part of them. Does wizard. the movie mention that she's a squid? No, it doesn't even go into it because I don't think they've ever established what squibs are. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't we, again, I for some reason these kind of exit my brain. <laughs> like the little details like right. that sort of exit my brain because because Filch is a squib and that's mentioned in one of the earlier books, but I don't mm-hmm. remember if the movie brought that up. I assume yeah. probably not. So a squib, in case we haven't covered it on here before is kind of like the opposite of a muggle-born witch or wizard. It's somebody born into a magical family who doesn't have any apparent magical powers. Yeah. Yes. Uh, uh, Obviously very looked down upon by the wizarding community and especially um, more traditionally minded wizards and witches. And yeah, bigots. Yes. (laughs) What was the Nymphadora thing? Why didn't she like being called by what seems to be her name? Also, why did her hair change? Nymphadora doesn't like being called Nymphadora because her name's Nymphadora. She kind of makes a quip in the book about how she can't believe her parents named her Nymphadora. So she goes by Tonks, which is her last name. Uh, And she's a metamorphagus, metamorphagus, magus, metamorphagus. I don't know, because the movie doesn't (laughs) say it, so we don't get to know how to pronounce it. Um, which is similar to an animagus, uh, which is what Sirius and James and them all were, where they can turn into animals. Mm-hmm. Some wizards can learn how to turn or have learned how to uh, change their appearance into like without spells or anything. Simil- I, I would imagine it's very similar to how you learn how to be an animagus. And she said, but I, you can learn, but it's very hard, she says in the book. Oh, okay. But you also some people are kind of like yeah, born I, I with thought it. You could, I thought you were born as- It's. It's both because she does okay. say you can. I'm now I'm gonna have to go look it up, but I swear she says you can learn to do it, but it's very difficult. But that somehow, like, maybe you can be disposed to it better or that because I mean, she came sense. from a line of them, yeah. she said. Right, right, right. And so, but I think that it is also possible to learn how to do it, but that it's very difficult because somebody does ask her about that in early in yeah. the book. Um, but yeah, basically, she can change her appearance at will. Although there's nothing in the book about her like hair changing when she gets mad. No, no, no. Yeah, the the, the whole thing where her hair changes when she yells at at Moody. That's, there's nothing inclina- or yeah. there's no inclination to that in the book. They just kind of did that to kind of make it stark and stand out. I assume. I guess so. I didn't have a problem necessarily with that. My problem with Tonks, which we'll talk about, is that they just don't ever show any of her doing anything else. Like yeah. her, because in anyways, we'll get there in <laughs> later segment, but. Did anybody else see what it looked like dead elves in the Sirius house? Anybody notice that? What's up with that? Uh, so the dead house elves are mentioned in the book. That there's like a row of house elf heads on mounted the wall. on the wall. Yeah. Um. Apparently, it's all of the family's former house elves. Yeah. Uh, although we don't really get much info beyond that. Yeah. They they just whenever the house elf gets too old, they cut its head off and mount it on the wall. Yeah. And that's so that's all the old house elves. So that's it. There's a, a, a nice little visual thing that they added into the movie for book readers. To right. Like, oh, that, that's what that is. But Although yeah. I, I can see where someone who had not read the books would be like, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Just to go back on it real quick. Tonks was born a metamorphmagus. So, yeah, she she had it from birth. Metamorphmagi are really rare. They're born, not made. Most wizards need to use a wand or potions to change their appearance. So I was incorrect. But she says you'll have to learn the hard way to Harry, because Harry wants to ask if he can learn to do it, because she's like, hey, you want to hide your scar, don't you? And he's like, yeah, it wouldn't hurt. But she says you'll have to learn the hard way. And she said metamorph my guy are really rare. They're born, not made. So I'm assuming she means you'll have to do it by like, yeah, you'll have learning to learn a, spell like, or a bunch something. of transfiguration spells yeah. or like how yeah. to get really good at brewing Polyjuice Potion or something. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the big main segment, Better 
in the book. You like to read? Oh, yes. I love to read. What do you like to read? Everything. I'm ready. As everyone knows, as we do these, uh, as we've been doing Harry Potter series, this is the longest segment. We are both unabashed book fans. We've (laughs) read them all numerous times. Uh, dozens in some instances. These later ones, not quite as much, but I have read five is probably the last one I read a bunch yeah. um, when it, when I was younger. Uh, six and seven I read, you know, a few times each, uh, if not, you know, five or six. So we have a lot that, that was changed and a lot that we have to say about that. Uh, and so this segment is going to be kind of long, like it was for Goblet of Fire. So let's... Strap in, everybody. Let's do it. Cut a lot of the Dursleys in the beginning. Um, I don't have a problem necessarily. There's a lot they could cut from that. There's a couple little things that I think tie into some of the themes we talked about in Mm -hmm. terms of uh, evil versus evil and sort of establishing more of the themes of um, bigotry within the world, both in magical and the non-magical world. Yeah, casual bigotry. Casual bigotry, that sort of thing. And one of the instances that that is early in the book is that Vernon's, there's a story on the newscast about uh union worker uh migrant workers a, a strike a I strike was, of yeah. migrant workers and and dursley makes a, a, an offhand comment about you know this dirty he doesn't say dirty migrant workers but so it's it's along those lines and and, and it's a very anti-union yeah. and a racist comment uh just to kind of reestablish that on top of being shitty to harry they're also just shitty people yeah um which we don't really get as much of in the movies because we don't see, I mean, obviously they're all always shitty to Harry when we see them, but they're on top of that. They're just awful. Yeah. People. They're just not very yeah. good and not very nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I get why the, most of the Dursley stuff was yeah. cut. Arguably it's a good cut. Yeah. I agree. We don't need it to no. understand the larger plot of this no. movie. Uh, but we did miss some really good stuff, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, part of what's going on at the beginning of the book is that Harry keeps listening to the Muggle News, trying to divine from that if Voldemort has been doing any like mass murdering, yeah. for example. Um, and at one point, Uncle Vernon is like listening to the news. He catches him again. listening to the news because he sits outside and listens to it. Yeah, yeah. and Dursley catches him. And Harry... <laughs> Harry's so sassy in the yeah. books, and he just comes right back with, well, it changes every day, you see. Yeah. it's good, fun little lines. There's a lot of sass that is cut out of this movie yeah. by a lot of different characters that they kind of trimmed a lot of, which is unfortunate because a lot of people have some good moments. Mm-hmm. Mrs. Fig, I imagine it helps that we as book readers knew her before her introduction scene. Yeah. Uh, I also feel like she comes off as a lot like kookier and quirkier in the book, at least in that one scene. Yeah. And then the the trial scene, she comes through like her character her comes character through comes a little, through a little more, more, I think. Yeah. But like in that initial scene, she's basically just some random, old some lady. random she's old kind of lady. weird voice. Yeah. She sounded like she smoked her whole life or something. <laughs> but yeah, I, I I thought she was fine. Um, it's a little weird. They had to have somebody show up and because they needed her as the witness and that sort of thing for the later right. scene. But so that's why they brought her in. I just yeah, she she was fine. Uh, I so again when they cut a lot of the Dursley stuff, one of the things they cut is Petunia knowing about Dementors, knowing what they are. Mm-hmm. And also, today she gets a howler. Yes. Um, so in the movie, we see a letter come that kind of turns into like a howler, but that's the one from the ministry, which Harry does get in mm-hmm. the book, uh, telling him he's expelled. Mm-hmm. But 
he also they also get a holler that's directed to Petunia, and it just says, remember my last. Yes. That's all it says. And it's Dumbledore's voice. But we don't know that at the time. We find that out later. We find that out at the end of the book. 100%. we don't find that out until the end of the book. Because Harry goes, oh, that was your voice in the holler. Remember my last. It's just described as a piercing voice rang out through the room or something like that. And Harry said it sounded familiar. Okay, yeah, it does just say an awful voice. Yeah. Because there's a line at the end where Harry says he realizes when, when Dumbledore explains why he has to stay at... The Dursleys, he goes, oh, that was your holler. Harry okay. goes, oh, you sent right. that holler. He goes, yeah. It was so long ago that I read the beginning of this book. Yeah. Yeah, we don't know that. <laughs> and we like find that out in the end. now. Um, okay. Fair enough. Because we're it's, supposed, it's set up as kind of a mystery throughout the book. Like, what yeah. the heck was that? Who was that yeah. from? What does that mean? Uh, I mean, they don't really touch on it the rest of the book until the very end. But, yeah, that is set up as a mystery. And it's a, it's a, it's a fun, interesting mystery to be like, what the heck? It wouldn't work. It would probably work a little less in movie form because it might be more obvious that it was Dumbledore's voice. True. Where for whatever reason, Harry doesn't understand him or doesn't realize that it's Dumbledore, whereas the audience we might have. Uh, but I think it's really important. I think it's... It, it sets up a lot for Petunia's character, which, again, the Dursleys just kind of get neutered throughout these movies right. and don't show up as much and just kind of peter out as they go on, which I understand. We're more interested in getting into the, the, right, the, 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 wizard, the wizard drama. And, and Harry's storyline. Yeah. Yeah. But it is an important moment for her, and it's an important moment that kind of kicks off our our understanding of what exactly happened with his parents. Yeah. And 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 the whole situation with him being left of the Dursleys yes. and what that means and what's going on there. Uh, and so, yeah, it's a little disappointing that they cut that out. Yeah. A small thing from the book that I really enjoyed that the movie doesn't mention. Uh, when the Order comes to get Harry, the Dursleys have left mm-hmm. for the day. And this is a little while after the whole Dementor incident. Yeah, it's like not the, that yeah, night. Yeah, the movie plays it as it's the same night. They do that a lot throughout the movies. Yeah. They condense events down into like, you know, they all happen right on top of each other. Right. It happens in this one a lot because yes. they have to. But uh, but in, in the book, he's been there for at least a few days, maybe longer than that. And when the Order shows up to get him, Moody says that they lured the Dursleys away by telling them they had won a best-kept lawn contest. Yes. Which is the most Dursley-ish thing I can think of. Yeah. And on top of that, there's been a, a thing because it's been a drought. Yes. So they're on top of that, they're getting this award during a time where they're not supposed to be using their water and their lawn should be shitty, but they yes. are using their <laughs> to keep their lawn nice and, they're, and they, they don't even stop to think about the fact that they're getting an award right now. But yeah, there's just layers on layers there about how obnoxious and uh, oblivious the Dursleys are to everything. Uh, Moody also has a great line during that scene that I love that harkens back to our conversation about wand holsters. Yeah, wand holsters, man. Because Harry goes to put his wand in his back pocket. I don't know how he didn't learn not to do that. And also, how big are your back pockets? (laughs) Wands are a foot long. This drives me crazy all the time. They put what they don't. They. a no, wand no, is okay. 12 inches long. Okay. It would stick way out of your back pocket. Now, I will say this. One, this is set during the 90s, and baggy jeans were kind of the thing. Sure. Two, it has been priorly established that Harry wears Dudley's hand-me-downs. Sure, still. I'd still. It's, no, that's not, mm-mm. It's dumb. I, the pockets are not that deep. Well, at not any rate. Not 12 inches deep. 
when Harry goes to put his wand in his back pocket, because evidently he learned nothing from the events of book four. Yeah. Um, uh, Moody says, better wizards than you have lost buttocks. Mm-hmm. Yep. Also, uh, in the movie, and just, I just forgot about this at this point, when they walk in, and this is in the book, but then they... They retcon it, basically, not retcon it, but they correct it, is that Harry says Professor Moody when Moody walks in. He goes and he says something in the book about not having he's like, I don't know, professor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I never taught school or yeah, or whatever. <laughs> um, and in the movie, he calls him Professor Moody and he just says he acknowledges him and they just move right along. Yeah. I'm like, He's not a professor, never was a professor. <laughs> he's just Mad-Eye Moody. But OK, <laughs> speaking of Mad-Eye Moody, when they go on their little trek on their brooms to go get to Grimald Place in the book. Moody does a spell on Harry where he basically camouflages him. He says, you can't wear your invisibility cloak on the broom because it's going to be too windy. It'll blow mm-hmm. off. So he, hit, he taps him on the head and it's a disillusionment charm is what it's called. And it basically turns you into a chameleon. Yeah. Like he just looks like whatever he's in front of, yeah. essentially, which I get why they didn't do it for them. One, it would have been cool to see them do in the movie. Like it would have been a cool effect and fun mm-hmm. and magical. But I also get why, because they have the brief little like flying around on brooms thing. And it would look silly if it was just brooms flying, <laughs> like, like just him on a broom. Like, I don't know. I, I get why they didn't do it, but I thought it was cool. I wish they would have done it. Again, on Tonks, and I mentioned this earlier during the question about her being a metamorphomagus. Uh, magus? Yeah, we'll never magus. Know. We'll never know. Um, we see her as in the book. I say see. She is described as pretty much every time uh, Harry or whatever interacts with her, she looks completely different. Not yeah. completely different, but she at least changes her hair. He changes like her hair, different lengths, different colors. Uh, she also changes like the shape of her nose. Sometimes it's smaller, and that mm-hmm. she does that kind of in the movie. In like one scene where she like grows like a bird beak and that sort of thing, which she does in the book. In once she's like entertains yeah. Hermione and Ginny by like changing her face. But it, there's one instance where they go to, like, the ministry or where they're going to the train, I think it is, to go to Hogwarts yeah. where she's an old woman. Yeah, so and we she don't looks see any like of, a completely yeah, different Yeah, like person. a completely different person. I thought it would be interesting to see some of that. Even oh, if it definitely. was, Even if it was just... Because she is in the movie a handful of times. Even if it was, like, confusing to people. Like, who was that old woman with them? And then maybe... Because, see, maybe they just didn't do a good enough job explaining, based on Trevor's question. Right. They didn't do a good enough job kind of setting up what she could do so that it would be weird you would be like who's that old woman you might not put it together but i don't know i wish they could have shown some more of of that and when they get to grimald place after the 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 flight they get there and in the in the movie uh um moody just taps his stick on the on the ground and the grimald place shows up the Mm -hmm. buildings move push aside which is how it is described in the book is that the buildings kind of separate right, and yeah. squeeze apart and then Grimmauld Place shows up, which it looked cool. I What I wish they would have done, though, because it ties into an old mythos that they'd already set up or, you know, it's, it ties into a spell and a thing we already know about in the universe, which is Secret Keepers, because that's what happened with Harry's parents and the Secret right. Keepers. That's the whole. Yeah, we find all about that in Prisoner, in of, Prisoner Azkaban. of Azkaban. Um, it turns out Dumbledore is the secret keeper for Grimald Place, and in the book, they hand Harry a piece of paper that says the headquarters for the Order of the Phoenix is located at number 12 Grimald Place. And when Harry reads that out loud in his head, because it was written by Dumbledore, uh-huh. he can then go yeah, in. Yeah, now he's in on the secret. Yeah, now he's in on the secret, and he can go inside. And I thought that would have been an easy thing to do. And 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 again, it kind of keeps with the with the, a thing you've set up previously and mm-hmm. expands on it. You don't even have to spend that much time with it. Like it wouldn't take that much longer than Moody yeah. tapping his thing on the ground. Just have him hand him a piece of paper and he reads it. 
and then say and then there's one line where he goes yeah Dumbledore that was from Dumbledore he's the secret keeper and then we move on I don't know like it just I don't I I think sometimes they make changes for like wizard aesthetic mm -hmm. is the thing no they 100% do yeah I agree and having Moody kung kung tap the staff is like cool mm -hmm. you know like it, it's cool I get I get that it's just I don't know <laughs> So Harry isn't as angry in the film? Not nearly as much. And one would have to assume that this is because we don't have his inner thoughts in the movie. Like, yeah. right, there's not like a voiceover. Yeah, we don't have a voiceover explaining why he's so upset. Because yeah. in the book, he's constantly angry. Oh, yes. Constantly exploding on people. Constantly screaming. Super... Um, not and I say constantly, it's not constant, but it happens quite often, and it's so much so that other characters start remarking on like, "Please don't jump it's, down my throat yeah, on this." About this, most of the book, he's kind of uh, he's got a short fuse. Yeah, and there's a uh, there's a handful of reasons for that that we'll discuss later, um, or, or we'll discuss throughout the course of this. Uh, yeah, but yeah, and it doesn't really come across in the movie at all, and and like you said, I I think the reason for that is because. We don't get to hear his thoughts and hear mm -hmm. his justification for why he's angry in the movie. Right. And so when he starts yelling at people, we'd be like, Harry's just a dick. Yeah, if he was just constantly blowing up and we didn't have any means of understanding his inner motivations, yeah. he would be very unsympathetic yeah. to and us. He already kind of is at times in the yeah. book. Even yes. in the book, he kind of is. And we get to hear why he's upset. Yeah. In the movie, you get it a little bit. Uh, you know, if he was uh, to turned up to the amount he is in the book, I think it would be very hard to. I, I it had been a hot minute since I'd read this book mm -hmm. and I was hoping that I was remembering that aspect of it as worse than it was. And I think I had actually remembered it as better than it was Yeah, because I was reading it and I was like, good God. Um, but it actually bothered me less. I now, liked it. I think it makes a lot of sense. Which is interesting, because I'm way farther removed from Harry's age than I was yeah. the last time I read it. But Yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I know some people kind of critique that about how moody, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, no pun intended, <laughs> Harry is in this, in this book. Uh, but I think there's not only several really good reasons for it, I, I think it makes a lot of sense. I think Harry has rel relatively good justifications, maybe yeah. not to the extent that he goes to but like for why he's feeling the way he is within the book and we get you know we're hearing his side of it from you know again his inner monologue kind of mm -hmm. and why he's upset i think it kind of makes sense and then on top of that you add in things that he might not even realize and justifies why he's upset uh ptsd type of yeah. things from dealing with the death yeah. of cedric and all that sort of stuff um and not to mention and people speculate on this and i, I you can kind of go both ways with it in later books the um being near a Horcrux makes everybody miserable. Yeah. That, yes. That and is Harry is a Horcrux. So it's not completely outlandish that he, that somehow that ties in as he, as Voldemort comes back and his power grows, mm -hmm. that that sort of corruption within him, which is kind of what the movie plays to a fair amount. Mm -hmm. Um, and the book does, too, to some extent. So I think there's lots of reasons, again, that maybe Harry doesn't even realize on top of the stuff where people aren't talking to him, people aren't right. giving him no, information, he where he's reasonably, you know, justifiably frustrated. To be justifiably angry, to be justifiably frustrated. I think where it gets maybe a little bit frustrating for a reader is that he kind of has no choice but to take that out on the wrong people. Yeah. 
Yeah, and we know Namely that Hermione, Hermione and, and Hermione. Yeah, we know Ron and Hermione aren't the people who should be mad at this about. Yeah. But I think it's a bit, again in retrospect. I think this part of what makes this easier or more digestible this time, reading it as an older person, you have the perspective to understand that that's how those emotions work. That mm-hmm. when you don't, when you when you have that sort of frustration and anger, it's easy to take that out on the people you shouldn't. Yeah, because they're the people that are there and that you Mm -hmm. can take it out on. So it makes a lot of sense. And so you you're more understanding of it, even if it isn't make it better that he's doing it. You know what I mean? It is is more understandable. It does get frustrating. Part of the way into the book, you kind of just want to shake him and be like, please. Yeah. (laughs) Stop yelling at your friends. Yeah. Uh, There's a disagreement in the movie or in the book uh, between Molly and Sirius. Uh about how to handle telling Harry and how much they should tell him about Voldemort, about what the order's been doing, yeah. how what level of involvement Harry should have with the order. Um, yeah, Molly and Sirius really clash on this front. They do very slightly in the movie. There's like yeah. one quick scene when Harry first gets there, which is when the big blow up is in the book as well. But they they go at it and mm-hmm. scream at each other in the book. Again, all of the it's funny because movies would generally you would think would heighten the emotional think, yeah. sort of, you know, interaction between characters. But this movie actually dials it back on all fronts, almost entire, like, except for Dumbledore, which was, <laughs> his emotions <laughs> go through the roof. But um, to some extent. But yeah, it uh, they, they kind of blow up. And I really like that difference because they both feel I like how it's portrayed in the book, because you can tell they both make good points mm-hmm. in the book, whereas in the movie, again, it's so brief and sort of just brushed aside. Sirius tells him gets to a point where he tells him about the weapon mm-hmm. that Voldemort's trying to get. And Molly goes, that's enough. And then it just ends. And that is right. where the scene ends. Whereas in the movie, they argue before that conversation happens. And then when that happens, they argue even more after that and scream and yell. Um, and we, we feel like they both have really very solid justifications, but they also both have their problems with. Well, they kind of represent like opposite extremes. Yeah. Right? Like serious. And we don't really know this at the beginning of the book, but as it goes on, we come to find that Sirius really thinks of Harry as like as like James. a brother, as a yeah. friend, as James. And and it maybe isn't acknowledging that, hey, he is only 15. Right. And that's that's Molly's argument. Yeah. And she even says that very explicitly, even in the beginning of the book, she goes, he's not James. And sometimes I think yeah. you forget that. But then Molly um, is like way on the other hand of the spectrum and, and, and maybe wants to treat him like he's a little bit younger than he is and doesn't want to tell him anything. Yeah. You know, there's there's middle ground. There's a middle ground had. here. Yeah. And, and and so they kind of represent both extremes. And eventually yeah. they kind of do come to a place where it kind of works out. But I, I liked that back and forth. Yeah. And they the should, different they perspective. Just let Lupin handle it. Yeah, he like, seems like very, Lupin. very even keeled. Yeah, and just <laughs> exasperated <laughs> all the time. Uh, there's a, there's a little mention. Uh, so since Dumbledore is now disgraced, quote unquote, with the right. ministry because uh, they don't want to buy that that Voldemort's yeah. back and all that stuff. And so they're, they, they're dragging his name through the mud. He gets booted from a bunch of like they strip all of his titles. He's not in. He's, yeah. He was. He's no longer chief wizard. Uh, chief wizard of the wizard gamut or whatever. He's no longer has his order of Merlin first class, which we also find out in this book that can basically be purchased. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when the Malfoy or somebody they mentioned that somebody basically just bought their order of Merlin first class. So it's like you might get it for doing things because I mean, I asked this in an earlier episode. Like, yeah, what is we that? talked about yeah. it. Yeah, you, you can kind of buy it, but you can also earn it. It's, you know, it's just one of those things. Um, 
but he's he's okay with them stripping all of his titles as long as he stays on the chocolate frog cards. And again, I think that's a little thing. That's the that's to me that's the aspect of Dumbledore's personality that doesn't come through enough yes. in the movies, especially the later movies. Yeah, we get more of it in the first two with Richard Harris as Dumbledore. Um, you know the little moments with the with the birdie bots every flavor beans, which we actually get in the movie where he tries and you know oh, alas earwax uh, that sort of that the playful weird childlike side of mm-hmm. Dumbledore that does exist uh, kind of almost more on the surface where he's like super brooding and like you know yeah. calculating and and thinking incredibly. He's thinking like 9,000 steps out. 9,000 steps out, but also very much a a a consequentially like from a a moral philosophy standpoint. He think he 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 kind of weighs all this stuff. Mm -hmm. He loves Harry and wants the best for him, but he also is using Harry to get as a means to an end. Yes. And because that end is the the best possible end for the wizarding world at large. And mm-hmm. it's that conflict within Dumbledore that he struggles with throughout all the books that we get a lot of in the books of, of his, his love for Harry and wanting the best for him versus this is what's going to kill, get rid of Voldemort and, you know, keep yeah. the world from turning into an evil <laughs> fascist empire. Like so that and uh we get the the moody, brooding, calculating side of Dumbledore in the, these movies a lot more than we get the playful. I just don't take me off the chocolate frogs card, Dumbledore, which is a little <laughs> disappointing that we don't get more of that in the movie. Sirius and Lupin during the dinner when they, when they first show up at a grim old place are having a brief discussion about they're talking when Harry walks in. They hear him discussing that they're trying to recruit the goblins mm-hmm. because there's a thing where both sides are recruiting people. And this is mentioned in the movie. Eventually, we find out Hagrid is trying to recruit giants as is Voldemort uh but Lupin and Sirius are talking about how they're trying to recruit goblins to their side yes and they make a point that Dumbledore says yeah we should try but I don't know if they're gonna join us because we haven't exactly been very fair to them and given and again this is it's just more little elements that tie in to the to the overall theme of inequality mm-hmm. and institutionalized uh speciesism yeah. for lack of a better word uh that are throughout these books that don't translate nearly as well to the movies if for no other reason if for no other reason than Dumb- uh, dobby gets cut cre- uh, <laughs> uh, uh winky's not in any of them. Yeah. a lot of our touchstones for those characters that represent that don't show up in the movies because they're not quote unquote important to the storyline while being quote unquote the most important in my not the most but like incredibly important to the well, storyline in my opinion and doesn't that really reflect our own human bigotry yeah yeah characters like that you can make the argument that they're maybe not um all that consequential to the plot yes to the plot sorry around them when i keep yeah you're but yeah. they are incredibly consequential to, to the, the themes and to, and to the messages yeah. i shouldn't say they're not important to the story I should say they're not important to the plot, as important to the plot, but they're incredibly important to the story. Yes. Because the story includes the theme and the message and that sort yes. of thing. Yeah. Uh, and on tying on to that is uh, we see the fountain in the movie. When they go into the ministry for Harry's trial, there's a big fountain in the in the lobby, basically. Yes. And we see it in the movie briefly, kind of in passing. Yeah, and we see it more at the end. They don't focus on it. We they, just yeah, see they, it. We it pans see it like, in the background, but it never focuses on what exactly the fountain is, no. which is... A very glamorous witch and a wizard 
And yes. then I think it's a... It's a house elf, a, house a elf, goblin, a goblin, and a, and a centaur. centaur all like, like, gazing adoringly at, at the, the witch, witch and, and wizard. wizard. Yes. And this is in the lobby of the ministry. You know, the yes. government building is this sort of statue to the inequality of these, uh, the different... I mean, not to mention yeah. there are no giants on there, you know, um, whatever other potential, you know, species of adequate <laughs> it's i don't know how to say it of adequate intelligence or whatever you know of that are on the same level because like giants to some extent were or are, are also probably mm-hmm. should be included in that humanoid i don't know how to describe it as creatures that are also deserving of the same level of mm-hmm. equality they're not even on the statue but the ones that are on there are all looking at the wizard and the witch like oh you're so great yeah um and uh that's a lie yeah it's a pretty lie yeah but it is a lie. Actually, if you read um, in Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, in not the not the movie adaptation or script or whatever it was that they released, but the actual like mock textbook, there's an interesting portion of like the history of how the Ministry decided like who had like human status and who didn't oh i wanted to mention also that uh during harry's trial scene overall the trial is pretty good um in the movie but it doesn't i don't think it does uh, dumbledore's lawyering justice Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm a big fan of when when a character gets a chance to like pin somebody to the wall with like (laughs) facts and logic it's like ah yeah gets me going a big star trek next generation fan and those were always like my favorite episodes when picard it's like i like measure of a man or any pick your favorite picard sticking it to people with like sweet logic bombs um for lack of a better word you nerd. <laughs> yeah but uh dumbledore gets to do that several times in this book and this is one of them and i just think the movie doesn't quite do it justice uh, how much he gets fudge like blibbering and like mm-hmm. agreeing to everything he goes well yeah sure they're dementors he goes well then this spell was totally fine he goes well yeah but there probably weren't dementors like i can call back my witness if you want he goes that's not the point you know like he's like he just every yeah. time and fudge is just getting more and more flustered and more just like uh but he always has an answer and I, it's a little you know cliche i don't know if cliche is the right word of, of well, just, maybe a little but but i like it it's, it's fun. fun yeah uh, and, and- Fudge is very clearly not on Dumbledore's level. No. And we get to see that yes. in, a, in a very tangible way yes. in that scene in the I, book. It's, it's the same thing when we talked about the Martian. At the end of the Martian, it's competency porn is what it is, for lack of a better word. It's watching somebody be really competent at something I find incredibly interesting. Uh-huh. And so like at the end of the Martian, when they all they're all when they have to figure out how to get Watney and they're all doing their, their different thing. And they're one guy's making a bomb and their you know, commander's doing this and this and, that, and you know, they're all doing this thing. I'm like, ah, it's so freaking cool. And it's the same thing in this. It's a similar scene in this where Dumbledore so clearly uh, outmatches fudge yeah. and competency that it's uh, really fun to listen to or read. Boom. Yeah. Lawyered. Yeah, exactly. He's the mic drop and it's just, it's, it's very <laughs> satisfying and it, the movie has it a little bit, but it just doesn't quite get to the same level. Uh, we also get to see more of the Black Manor, Grimald yes. Place, in the book. Uh, there's one 
Do you remember this? Oh, it's a brief mention. Yes, I do. And now I, I want to talk about this because I don't even remember if this is a red herring or or if this pays off. No, this pays off. Okay, it does, doesn't it? Does. It? Okay, it okay. does pay off. I couldn't remember because I... Rem- okay, sorry, continue. Because what the, part of what they're doing while they're all staying at, at the manor before school starts is they're helping to clean it. Yeah. Because it's, 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 it's decrepit. Been, it's, it's been decrepit. empty. It's decrepit. It's been shut and empty except for Creature for years and years. So basically it's disgusting and yeah. full of like dark wizardry artifacts to boot. Yeah. So they're all they're trying to clean it out and there's like just this brief mention. It's just like in a list of random things. It is. It's in I a think. list of just stuff they yeah. found. Of a heavy locket that none of them could open. Yeah. And then in book six, that pays off. Yeah. And we find out what that locket is. Because I vividly remember reading book six and like getting to that part and being like, oh shit. Well, see. Oh shit. I didn't remember. Okay. So I didn't. I only because I didn't remember that, obviously remember that throwaway line from this book about some heavy locket that they couldn't open. And I didn't put together because so but there was all this Internet speculation. They're already trying to figure out at the end of book six because it ends on a super cliffhanger where they get the locket. But it's not the real locket. Yes, it's a horcrux, but it's not the real locket. And it's signed R.A.B. And everybody pretty quickly was like, well, that's probably Regulus Black. Yes. And we'll talk about that. But uh, it sets up. Uh, they're like, well, that's probably Regulus Black because he was a Death Eater, blah, blah, blah. Maybe he turned he turned or so, you know, all the wild speculation on the Internet. And then people also went back and go, holy shit, there was that one line in in uh, Order of the Phoenix where they find a locket that they couldn't open mm-hmm. in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. In, in the in Black Manor. They go, let's have the locket. So that is it. Is that ultimately end yeah, up that being pays it? Off. But Mon- how does it? I don't remember how it pays off. I couldn't remember if that was just speculation. I thought it paid off, and that well, was want, actually do it. Do you want to talk about it? No, now we'll we'll or, talk okay. about it later. I just I forgot about that, or I remembered that line with the locket. I was looking mm-hmm. out for it on rereading because I remember all the speculation, and but I couldn't remember if it paid off. I thought it did because obviously it is does end up being Regulus and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. I just couldn't remember exactly where did they end. No, we'll talk about it later. It doesn't matter. <laughs> We're reading it next. All right. <laughs> but anyways, that's a little thing that yeah. I, uh, just a little scene of them cleaning for 30 seconds and then finding a locket would have been great, but couldn't do it. Didn't do it. What are you going to do? Uh, Percy turning for the ministry. Uh, he's like in this movie for 30 seconds. Yeah. And they don't like even randomly there and they the don't end of the mention movie. like why he's there or what he's doing. People would probably have forgotten because he hasn't been in like any of the movies yeah. since like one or two. People would probably not even realize that was Percy Weasley. Like probably some casual right. viewers like would just. Some guy, some ministry guy. Well, Trevor didn't ask anything. Yeah, about Trevor didn't it, ask so anything about maybe it. Maybe he didn't realize. He probably forgot. I bet he didn't realize. But um, he's throughout the book. He's at the trial. He's all this stuff. And there's a big, uh, there was a big falling out between Arthur or between the Weasleys yeah. and Percy because Percy, as we talked about in the prequel episode, his flaw is that he's super loyal to the ministry. He's trying to, he wants to rise up and, and be this super important figure and rise above the station of his family. Yeah. And he thinks the way to do that is under the minister with the ministry. And he, so he sees his family's support of Dumbledore as a potential downfall for his career aspirations, yeah. basically. Um, and he doesn't even show up in the movie. Percy, well, he does, but for lack of a better word is a huge twat. Yes. In the book, just a giant. Yep. Absolutely. And again, he, he may show up in deleted scenes. I wouldn't be surprised because if you're going to get him and put him in one scene at the end, yeah. I find it hard to believe that he wouldn't be in a couple earlier scenes to sort of set up 
that yeah possibly you know what i mean and it's probably just deleted scenes well and we know too that there may have been a cut scene from that oh part there was absolutely said, a cut we'll scene because that, that later con- because continuity makes made, no made sense, no sense. <laughs> <laughs> makes no sense uh at the end when they get captured by umbridge at the fire well but we'll talk about that uh to go back to the black manor yes. for a second um we see the tapestry yeah which does eventually show up in the movie yes. it's just out of order Yes. As to when we see it in the book, well, they we see rearranged it a, a lot. They rearranged a lot of stuff, which this. made it kind of hard for note taking wise. But they do. We see it during Christmas break in yeah. the movie, but we see it before he goes to school in the book. And it's actually looks pretty cool in the movie. I will talk about that. But uh, one of the things that they don't get into in the movie that I thought was really interesting is how all of the pure blood wizards are related. Yeah. Like Sirius is like, yeah, Bellatrix is my cousin. Tonks is my second cousin. The Weasleys are second, third cousins by marriage. You know, like yeah. they're all related because Andy's na- related to the Malfoy. Andy's related. Well, yeah, because well, married into the yeah. because uh, Narcissa was Bellatrix's. Narcissa is his cousin, right? Yes, something, something like, that. like that. But they're all intermarried. They're all related, yes. Which is and intermarried. this great nod to like aristocracy. Yes. Which is more of a European thing than an American thing. Yes. I'll grant. Right. But yeah, which makes sense for the story. Yeah, and and it uh, it's it, I just really liked that, and it also kind of calls in because it it lays bare sort of how silly it is that they mm-hmm. all are super into this like pure blood all the wizards that are into this like pure blood mania of like gotta be pure blood it's uh, it's like well yeah we're all fucking each other's cousins now like that i mean like that that's <laughs> yeah. what that equals eventually when you're especially when you live on a tiny <laughs> island that's right the and size it of england back to i think in the first or second must have been the second book hagrid I think it was. Has he like does a say that. Yeah. Line about like if we hadn't started marrying muggles, we'd have died we'd out. Have died out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they're just they're all related. That guy that gets wrong. And more importantly, in the movie, Regulus is not mentioned. Yeah. Which seems like a massive oversight. Yeah. Considering J.K. was involved, he was pretty heavily involved in the writing of the adapting of all of these screenplays. Right. I'm like, amazed. We, we that mentioned too that she even went so far as to, to be like tell them to have to have yeah, creature. Yeah, you have to have creature. Yeah, it seems weird. Again, maybe it's a deleted scene and it got maybe. cut from a theatrical. Like maybe the script that she signed off on it was in there, but for whatever reason, for time they had to cut. Yeah, Regulus, because yeah, he's not mentioned, and I was like, that's a, he's like a pivotal. I mean, he's dead. He's not around, but like he's a pivotal previous character, right? You know, and and kind of a important player in the story as it plays out from here um but yeah just not in the movie this is a little thing but rufus scrimgower or however you pronounce that last name is that how you say it i've always said rufus scrimgower but that's it might be scrimger scrimmager scrimger i don't know the a future minister (laughs) fudge replacement um uh he's one of the guys who eventually or he's the guy who eventually becomes the uh Minister of Magic yes. in book six or seven, seven, six, six yeah, because Fudge gets disgraced when, right? Yeah, when Voldemort, they all realize Voldemort has been back. Fudge is disgraced; he steps down or whatever, and Rufus Scrimgeour takes over. Uh, who has his own, has his own interesting character. Yeah, he's, he's, an he's got his own flaws. Yeah, um, from what I remember, but the movie doesn't mention this at all. Again, it's fine. I, here's the thing: I will say this: maybe he is. In passing, because it's only in passing in the book. It's mm-hmm. a throwaway line about... I don't even remember the context of it. I just remember seeing the name and making a note of it. But 
it could show up in the movie. It could be a newspaper clipping where his name shows up. There could be a, uh, you know, somebody mentions it in the background of a conversation of another scene. I, I'm not saying it. there's 0% chance that it's in the movie, mm-hmm. but it's one of those little things. And this is one of the things that the movies to me are missing as a whole. And we've discussed it a lot over the course of the books. It was what our second prequel episode was about, right? Uh, of world, not world building, but paying off or setting up. Oh, we talked about um, the, how the thematic elements show up. Early. Right. I guess it wasn't though. Then what? We've talked a, numerous it's a similar ideas. We've talked that. numerous times about how the little things that right. J.K. Her, sets like, up Easter egg, her planting. Easter egg planting that she puts in throughout the course of the books, and it's another little one that she did that doesn't show up in the movie. And the movies are lacking kind of in general. Yes, is those Easter eggs that end up turning in. Right, where stuff. it's similar to the locket, yeah. where it's just like an offhand mention, like you wouldn't even notice it. Yeah. But then later on in another book, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. That was a That was important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, the movies kind of lack that entirely. And I'm sure part of that is it's tough because it's, you know, she she has to, she's still writing the stories at that point. Right. And, and you got to decide how much they're going to tell and how much they don't want to give away stuff for later books necessarily by being right. obvious with like, look at this locket. You know what I mean? Like, so they have to kind of do stuff like that. I get it. But again, the locket, you can do it the way they did it in the movie. They're going to be cleaning stuff. You can just see it. Yeah. Would be cool. And maybe, yeah. maybe in a deleted scene, maybe we do. Cause again, it wouldn't be super important for this movie. So maybe they're trying to trim it. Who knows? Um, we've got to get these deleted scenes one day and figure this I out. I know. <laughs> That would be a fun... We could do, like, a whole other series. Oh, that would be a whole fun series for <laughs> post-Harry Potter one time. If we ever do a Patreon or something, that'd be great. Okay, so this this is something that has always bothered me about this movie. Voldemort in the train station. Yeah. Now, I, 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 I get that it's a dream, and I get what it represents, but it's so weird. Like, why is he dressed like an Armani model, and, like, he's just, like, in the train station, and then, like, he, like twists his He's neck like, around and like uh, like uh, what i i don't i i i'm not sure what i mean again you know what it is it's it's i it's, know what it is because yeah, yeah harry deals with nightmares and sort of flashbacks and sort of ptsd type uh, yeah but at the things. same time it's like we cut a lot of stuff and yet we're adding this weird 30 seconds or whatever of voldemort dressed like he's going to shoot a modeling campaign. All I can think is that they wanted to get Voldemort in there somehow. Uh, yeah, I guess. Just for reminders to like the dumb dum-dums in the theater. Like, remember, this is the bad. <laughs> yeah, all like, you dum-dums out there. I, I don't know. Like, that's all I can think is that they wanted to have and maybe just to have that shot for the trailer. <laughs> that's a trailer shot. Like. Yeah. Voldemort in the train station. You're like, what is that? Like, I don't know. I yeah, I agree. I don't know. And then I don't remember what it was called, but like forever ago, there was like a parody video that like set that scene to bringing sexy back. Mm. And now that's all I can think of <laughs> when I see that. I, like I see it and I hear bringing sexy back in my head. There you go. In the movie. Neville can't see Thestrals for some reason. He shows up in that scene when they're not. Yeah. In the book, he's not there when they take the when they take the uh, supposedly horseless carriages, the carriages up to Hogwarts. Uh, But Luna's there and she has the same line about I can see him, too. So you're just as sane as I am. But yeah, for some reason, Neville can't see him in the movie. Yeah. 
which is or weird. at least he doesn't cop to being able to see or he, yeah like. he just fakes it like he's just like i don't know like he doesn't say anything which is interesting because in the in the books he can see them because he saw his grandpa die yeah so that yeah i thought that was just a weird change i don't, I don't know i like the storyline about hermione and ron becoming prefects it's super not important I like it, too. I'm just okay with it having been cut. That's fair. Uh, I think it would have been interesting to have it in there because I think it, 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 it's one of those other things that helps spur along Harry's, Harry's anger, anger and, and his frustration. Yes, and, and <laughs> makes it more... Yeah. Because, you know, the no, constant... Like, everybody's like, oh, Ron's the prefect, not Harry? All right. And he's, Harry's just like... Well, Harry does cause a lot of trouble. Yeah, he does. And and they, you kind of figure that out. Uh, but I, I I don't know. I liked it. And they just dropped that completely from, from yeah. the movies. Not even mentioned. Uh, Neville has a weird plant. <laughs> yeah, that's a kind of shows up several times in the book. Mimbulus Mimbletonia, <laughs> which they show it in the movie. They do and show it. I liked it. the way it looked. I yeah. have that in the other segment. Um, but they leave out the part where it sprays Harry with stink sap. <laughs> I, I'm surprised they left it out because it felt like it would be a fun, like gag scene yeah. for and it's just the kind of scene you imagine from a movie because like Cho shows up to come talk to him on the train I think it's on the train or on yes the, it's on the train and right as she shows up the Neville has poked this plant and it's sprayed sap all over him that smells bad apparently uh and then he has to talk to Cho and it's sort of that you know teenage embarrassment yeah. like just ugh, awful like oh this is my crush and she's seeing me in this horrible yeah. embarrassing moment and it just seems like it would be a really easy like gag laugh in the movie for a movie yeah. that's not particularly funny yeah at times. in a movie that needed a moment of levity yeah I, I i think that would have been an easy one to put in there so i'm surprised they didn't uh the sorting hat song which we probably don't ever see again we probably saw yeah. it in the first one do we even get the song no. in the first one do we ever see it in any of the movies no we t- oh, we've talked about yeah that. that's right we did. Uh, this might be the only time i've ever heard you argue for the song well because this one matters <laughs> this one's important the sorting hat actually has things to it's say important thematically <laughs> it actually has things to say uh, you're right i i do hate yes. the song reading the songs but no i said before that in the movies i'd be fine with it i don't mind watching things sing i hate reading things sing that's you my know, issue you're right the sorting hat does have something important to say the yeah. sword, sorting hat is a greek chorus yes it, it really uh they really are <laughs> for lack of a better <laughs> pronoun um yeah, uh, the hat uh, really is, yeah, acts as a Greek course and it sort of reflects the mood yeah. of what's going on and, and begs the... And uh, offers commentary. Yes, begs the audience to take heed and think about what's going on, you dum-dums. <laughs> basically what the hat's saying. Okay, so I would never argue against Umbridge's iconic, awful pink suit things in the movie because they are iconic and they are awful, as I said. But in the book, she it says that she wears fuzzy pink cardigans yes. over her robes, which I really think would have been just like a whole new oh, level it would of clash awful. So terribly, oh, it would and, look ridiculous. Yes. Yeah, she does look bad in the movie, but yeah, it would it would be next level, like the cardigans with the yeah, yeah, yeah. They really should have, and I guess they were <laughs> like, we can't do that to this actress. She's already playing like the worst person in the world. We can't, <laughs> literally, like worse than Voldemort. They do mention the skiving snack boxes in the movie, which is mm-hmm. fun. With the Weasleys uh, in their venture to become joke shop owners, have, are inventing new things constantly. One of the things they make are the skiving snack boxes, which are for students to skive off classes. Which I guess is a British must be British slang. term. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've heard of it, I think, previously, but yeah, 
or skiv skive anyways um i think it's skive basically that you could take this this candy and it'll like make you sick in different ways for a brief time then take the other half of the candy and it cures you so you can take it and oh i gotta throw up and then leave class and then you're fine yeah yeah, and then you can just do whatever you want yeah that's the idea behind them uh we do see them in the movies and they look cool like they like these big fancy like candy Mm -hmm. box things they're kind of neat um but the main one we see we see one instance of it in the movie where it's a kid who eats it and his like chin gets huge i I guess it's like some sort of swelling something something yeah and then we see one where filch gets some somehow i think is what happened yeah that was the implication and he has like boils or like pustules all over his face uh but those aren't either of the ones we get in the books from what i recall the pustules maybe but i like that might have been one of them but the ones in the book is the ones where people throw up like just projectile vomit (laughs) there's the the vomit ones there's a fever one yeah which that one i think might have something to do with pustules but and there's a a nosebleed nosebleed one and then there's a fainting one yes um but the the vomit and the bleeding ones was the ones i get why they're not in the movie but I uh, would have <laughs> liked the idea of seeing because there's a, a scene in the book where Ron and, or where the Weasley twins are um, showing them off in the in the common room by demonstrating the puking one where they just like projectile vomit across the room <laughs> in the buckets <laughs> after they take them. And it's like that would have been wild. That would have been the, the, basically the ones in the movie artists aren't as intense, but it's it, they're fine. I, mm-hmm. um, another thing that doesn't really come across in the movie is like the insane like pressure of schoolwork yes in this year because it's the ordinary wizarding level which is mentioned here and it is mentioned in the movie but the movie absolutely does not portray just how how much pressure yes there is on these fifth years which is another thing that adds to Harry's yeah like emotional emotional instability yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is the fact that he's always having to do homework and he ends up with no time to do his homework because yeah. of all his he's other in, various he's in things. detention all the time for a while he's playing Quidditch which we'll get to um, yeah, yeah uh, just so many other things going on and not to mention all the other responsibility you know the other nonsense with. Mm-hmm. the the scars and the clemency and all, all the stuff he's going through so yeah the homework is just piles up constantly and there's this ever present amount of homework and i think it's very could be very relatable to people that are 15 14 year old reading this mm-hmm. and getting starting in high school and that sort of thing and getting a feel for now i you know yeah getting a feel for the sort of pressure of academia um and it also it gets to the point in the book where there there's there's mentions of, of students like literally like breaking down yeah. and like having to go to the yeah. hospital wing uh and, and all that sort of stuff and there's just not really any feeling of that in the movies the mm-hmm. classes are neglected in the movies a lot in general <laughs> yeah which again you get in the sense that as movies you have two and a half hours and the story takes right. like the main plot takes up most of that and you want to show them doing interesting things yeah and, and going to class is in not, class and yeah and not that there's that much of it in the book but you do have lots of different classes and, and that sort of thing uh and you just don't really get a feel for that in the, yeah. in the movies in the same way so and and the the owls is the big one for for this and then sort of the pressure of the owls doesn't kind of come across in the same way in the movie it's a really interesting scene. It shows up in the movie. Again, they move it. I almost thought they cut it entirely, which I thought would have been weird. Uh, where Sirius shows up in the fire mm-hmm. in the book. Uh, he does, That does happen in the movie eventually, and we'll talk about that. Um, but there's a one thing that they do cut, which I thought was interesting. 
or in the book that I wish they would have kept in the movie is that I don't remember exactly what Harry says he doesn't want to do, but serious. Basically, Harry says, I, I, I'm not going to do that or I'm, I'm worried about doing. I can't. Uh, oh, it's when they're talking to Sirius about maybe starting. The, oh, the DA. starting Dumbledore's army. That's yeah. right. And and they're kind of like, uh, we don't know if it's worth the risk. Yeah. And Sirius. Sirius being serious. Uh, he basically says, well, it's the the risk of it is what would have made it fun to James. Yeah. And like goads Harry for like not being as brave as his father. Yeah. Essentially, like, and and you could, and it's almost like this level of like disappointment in Harry. And again, this ties into what we talked about earlier, where Sirius really does kind of try, um, mistakenly sees Harry as as James and as much older than he is. You know, sees him as a brother, as like a mm-hmm. a compatriot, whereas he's a fifteen year old kid. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, and he and he kind of, it's like a real dick move because he's like, not only does he make Harry feel shitty. He makes Harry feel shitty for like not measuring up to his father, which is all uh, his father who died when he was a baby. Like that's like levels of like, it's a super dick. Yeah. Super, super dick move. Um, and they cut that out and I, I think it adds some interesting layers to Sirius that we get throughout the course of the book Mm -hmm. a lot more in this book that are kind of empty and kind of not in the movie. There's moments of it. And really the biggest moment of it in the movie is so brief and it happens right when Sirius dies yeah. where he calls him James yeah. and Harry's like, what? But like that. Yeah. And, and in the book too, it's potentially a good indication of, you know, probably the kind of mental issues that Sirius, Sirius has. Yeah. Most assuredly has after being in fucking Azkaban for 12 years. Yeah. Fo- immediately following the of brutal murder, murder of, of his, his best, best friend. Friends. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, Sirius isn't the most uh, stable of father figures to have yeah. in your life. And the movie doesn't really portray him that way, which, again, you can kind of understand when they have a lack of time. It's hard to get into that sort of nuance in a character. Right. Um, Sirius is replacement father figure. That's why Harry's sad when he dies. That's what he is in the movie. Whereas in the book, it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. Like, yes, he is a replacement father figure, but also he's got his own issues that sort of influence how he treats Harry and how Harry sees him and all that sort of stuff. So I really wish I would have kept that in, but again, I get it. Um, so there's the scene with Luna in the forest when her and Harry are talking about the Thestrals. Yeah. And I, I don't mind that scene. There's a lot that I like about it. Uh, the, the thing that disappoints me about the change is that in the book, um, Hagrid teaches them about Thestrals. Yes. Which is great because it's a moment that proves to everyone else that Harry isn't just seeing things yeah. and he's not just crazy pants and making yeah. it up. Yeah, which is which important. Which is kind of important. Kind of important. It also is another moment where we get to see uh, Hagrid's competency as yes. a teacher. Yes. And, and as a quote-unquote half-breed, as uh, Umbridge would put it, you know. So, yeah, I, I, I agree. I We'll talk about that scene later, but yeah, I agree that it... Having Hagrid. Yeah, it's a nice scene, but it doesn't do the same things that it does in the book. Yeah. McGonagall. All of McGonagall's greatest moments are cut from this movie, and it's the big... It may be the single biggest crime this movie commits, because McGonagall is a truly great character, and she has so many moments in this book. She is the motherfucking head bitch in charge. (laughs) She truly is. She has so many great lines that just don't make it into the movie. Yeah. 
Yeah, uh, like the 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 big one that we both first put was the, have a biscuit potter. Yeah, which uh, Harry when he gets detention for the first time for mm-hmm. telling Umbridge, which the scene happens in the movie uh, where he tells Umbridge that you know you're full of shit, Cedric's dead because Voldemort's back, and she gives him detention for a week. Yeah, um, she sends him to McGonagall in the book. She makes him get, kicks him out of class. Says go see McGonagall, and he gets to McGonagall. And uh, he gives her the note that Umbridge gave him. And Umbr- or McGonagall reads the note from Umbridge, sits down and says, have a biscuit, Potter. Which is because <laughs> he was like gearing himself up to be like, yeah, to know. like get into another fight. Yeah. And he's like, wait, he's so taken aback. And she basically tells him at that moment, look, I got you. I am. We're on the same page, but she's fucking evil. Like, yeah, I can't. But like, you got to fucking chill. Dude. You got to chill, man. <laughs> yeah. Um. Um, another one that I had in my notes was from when Umbridge is observing McGonagall teaching. Yes. And she keeps interrupting her. Yeah. And McGonagall wonders how Umbridge could possibly get a feel for her teaching methods and says, I do not generally permit people to talk while I'm teaching. Yes. <laughs> it's pretty great. She uh, there's again, there's this const there's numerous, numerous moments like that where she just she she goes off on Umbridge and it's it's so delightful. Yeah. And then one of the other big ones is that eventually they're doing career advice, which gets totally cut, which from is completely the movie. cut, which is kind of weird um, that they would cut that again. Maybe it's a deleted scene where McGonagall, uh, Harry goes to McGonagall to get basically like you know when you when you're like preparing for college, like what do you want to be when you grow up? Yeah. Uh, and he goes and and Umbridge is there because at this point she's like super controlling everything. Uh, and Harry tells McGonagall that he wants to be a, an or mm-hmm. an evil wizard catcher, basically a wizard cop, a wizard cop, <laughs> to, uh, more like a wizard FBI agent or Fair something, enough. you know, like, yeah. a, it's like a cop. It's more like a, yeah, like a detective kind of, but like you battle evil. Uh, anyway, I don't, I don't know how much work they normally <laughs> have, but cause they have other departments for like, Misuse of muggle True. artifacts, which yeah. you feel so like I guess would... he's, he's more like a wizard, yeah, like an FBI agent. Yeah, they go after CIA like the big, agent. like the most yeah. wanted criminals, they like go after them. But he wants to be an R, and, and uh, McGonagall's telling him what he has to do. And Umbridge is like, Look, he's not going to be one because he's he he's you know, he doesn't get a good enough grades. He's not, con- you know, basically, she's coming up with excuses because she doesn't like him, yeah, and doesn't, you know, and she goes, Well, we're in charge, he's never going to be an R. At one point, she says, Uh, Umber or McGonagall says, well, your marks in uh, defense against the dark arts have been great. And I don't think we've mentioned Umbridge is the defense against the dark arts teacher currently uh, in this book and movie. And she says, your, your, your grades in defense against the dark arts have been great. And Umbridge says, actually, I don't know if you've seen my current, my grades for him from this year. And McGonagall goes, I'm sorry. I should have said your, your grades in defense against the dark arts when taught by a competent teacher, <laughs> have been great. <laughs> Boom. Got him. Yeah. Savage. At this point, they, the, my favorite thing about it, at this point, they get into a screaming match. Yeah. McGonagall and Umbridge just start going off on each other, and Harry just slowly backs out of the room in the book and, like, shuts the door. And I just would have loved to see that moment <laughs> in the movie of Harry just like, I guess... I'll just see myself. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. It, uh, she has so many great moments. Uh, yeah. And they just, they cut them all. She's in it a few times. A distinct lack of McGonagall. In fact, the one moment she gets 
Umbridge gets the best of her, basically, where she's on the stairs and they're doing that film class 101 of like taking steps up the stairs yeah. and now ooh, she has the upper hand like all right um <laughs> like ooh, we get it <laughs> it's visual medium but uh but in that moment like umbridge basically like wins quote unquote and, um, yeah. and mcgonagall steps down the stairs and it's like oh and it's like come on i think she gets like one moment in the movie that i i can't recall but it's none of them come up to the level of the ones from the book there's a really random thing in the in the in the book that again i get why it's not in the movie but ron tries to run upstairs to the girl's dormitory to yeah, tell he hermione to something tell hermione something and and an alarm goes off or it's just not having it. no an alarm goes off and the stairs turn into a slide and he slides back down and again that would have been awesome to see again i get it it's it's not an important moment really it's just a fun moment uh and also has some really problematic (laughs) ideas uh some problematic implications for hogwarts but they comment on that in the book and say that it's because it was built in yeah it was built in forever middle ages or whatever yeah and they didn't because there's no such thing for there's no because in earlier books we've seen hermione come up to the boys dormitory so there's clearly no similar system to stop girls from getting up to the the guys dormitory but that's because the the builders of hogwarts were you know sexist so (sighs) okay so we have our dumb dumbledore (laughs) moment in this movie i forgot this happened and it's it's not as it's not bad as, as bad. It's, it's not, not as, bad as bad as our Goblet of Fire, but it's pretty bad. Moment, but it is it is pretty bad. So there's a uh, when when Trelawney gets kicked out, which she gets kicked out way earlier in this mm-hmm, movie than mm-hmm. she does in uh, the book. She gets kicked out. Dumbledore comes down to save the day and says, "Look, you can fire her, but you can't make her leave Hogwarts. That's I I can tell her she gets to stay." Right. And that, that all plays out pretty similarly. And then as Dumbledore Dumbledore turns around and is leaving this scene, he yells to all of the students who are standing around watching, don't you all have studying to do? Like angrily yells, don't you all have studying to do? And they're all like, ugh. And then he storms off. This again is such... It's such a departure. A departure from from his his character. And the thing about Dumbledore that I think the movies on the whole don't get is that, as we've mentioned, he is the master chess player. Yes. And he is always even-keeled. Yes. He is in control of himself. Yeah. Because he is thinking 9,000 steps out. He's only... The only time he's not completely even-keel and calm, cool, and collected Mm -hmm. is in moments of the gravest... Not gravest, but like... Like when he storms in on Barty Crouch yeah. in book four, because uh, because he knows he knows uh, Barty Crouch or he knows somebody, whoever Mo- the Moody who took Harry wasn't Moody. And there's some danger of foot. He goes yeah. into business mode. Uh, same thing in this one where uh, at the end, when he shows up at the ministry and is fighting the Death Eaters and yeah, he's, and in, Voldemort, he's in business, he's in business mode. mode. But when he's even if he is upset or any, it's never you never you don't see it. He is yeah, constantly he, he is the master of hiding his emotions. Yeah. And the movie almost makes him like a loose cannon. Yeah. Which doesn't make no. Sense. And it's such a departure for and, and it's it, it's so, so against what makes Dumbledore so cool in the books is that, you know, that's underneath. 
Mm-hmm. You know that emotion and all, and sort of his, his, you, over the course of the books, you know that's there because when we see it kind of come out and the fire in him come out during, again, business time moments, makes it so much more impressive when he's yeah. constantly like, rrr, rrr, in the movies. It's like, well, I'm not as, it's not as, we know, sh- it, it doesn't feel as serious when, like, he shows up and is like, going, like, at the end of four and it's like business time that doesn't feel as impressive because no. we've seen him angry and we've seen him in a yeah, huff and we, we've seen yeah, him we've seen him blow up yeah so so what's yeah what is why is this any different it, and it, yeah and so it, again it's one of those little moments where it's like it, it's just so completely misunderstands dumbledore and again He's he could not be more diplomatic with Umbridge yes. throughout the course of this he book. He's always diplomatic with her. Even even when he's he you know you can you can tell through reading it that he wa- he wants to pull out his wand and his fucking curse her into little pieces. Like he he wants to make her fly out of the school. Like he hates her. You can tell. <laughs> like he's he is so not happy about what is going on. But <laughs> he's he puts his fingers together. <laughs> Which the book always made, yeah, you know. He puts his fingers, puts his fingertips together. together he, he looks his, down at the ground. He looks down <laughs> past his crooked nose. <laughs> yes. Then he glances up and over he says his something. Half moon glasses. Over his half moon glasses <laughs> and says something serenely. <sighs> yes, yes, Sunbridge or whatever her first name is, because he calls her by her first name, which is, I think is a sort of a passive form of disrespect. Yes. Uh, uh, Dolores. Dolores. He calls her Dolores all the time. It's interesting to me, too, because it's kind of a mirror of how he calls Voldemort Tom. Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's it's that sort of uh, you're not worthy of, you know, any sort of respectful title. Ignore the way you've self-styled yourself. You're beneath me. (laughs) You're you're lucky I don't call you Dolly, honestly, (laughs) Dolores. (laughs) So, um. Yeah, and again, it's it's oh, it's so disappointing because it's what makes Dumbledore so cool. Like, it's one, I mean, there's a lot of things that make Dumbledore cool and not cool, but like that, uh, it's it's such a misreading of his character, and it's it's uh, it drives me insane. I'm so disappointed that the movie cuts Ferenz. Yeah, I guess is how you say it. We don't know because he's not yeah, in. the I'm movie. pretty sure it's Ferenz. Well, he shows up in the first movie, right? But I don't remember if they say his name or not. Yeah, I don't remember. Because Bane also shows up. Yeah. He, Ferenz comes to teach divination um, after Trelawney gets the boot. He's a centaur. Yeah. Centaurs are supposedly very good at reading the stars and the signs. Yeah. So he comes to teach divination, um, but not in the movie. Nope. Then it's completely cut. Yeah. Um, and, and it's another one of those great passive screw you moments of Dumbled- you know, that Dumbledore mm-hmm. gets because she fires... Trelawney, and then he gets friends, uh, quote unquote, half breed, yeah, to come teach this class because uh, he knows it'll infuriate. For yeah. one thing, it'll infuriate Umbridge, which it does, and but he does it very, you know, diplomatically and kindly. He's like, "Well, I've actually found a replacement already." And she's like, <laughs> "What?" You know, she's so taken aback, and it's it, that's the thing. And that scene, if they played that out in the movie, he'd probably be like, <laughs> "Guess what? I already gotta." Come on, Fred. You know, he'd be like, it's like, uh, like, it's way cooler if he's like, yeah, composed and chill. Um, but yeah, I know friends. And then so we don't get the weird throwaway line about Parvati curling her eyelashes so she can look sexy for the <laughs> centaur that's coming <laughs> to teach them. Oh, it's progressive, you know. <laughs>
Uh, so in the book, they come up with the title Dumbledore's Army uh, as a joke, basically. Yeah. They can't come up with a name. They actually come up there. It's the DA, but they come up with the Defense Association is sort of mm-hmm. their first like oh, Defense Association. And then one of them says, I think Jenny says we should be Dumbledore's Army. You know, like that's yeah. what Umbridge is afraid of or the ministry is yeah, afraid of. Yeah, it's kind of a drag on her and Fudge. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, that's funny. They all think that's really funny. So they're like, yeah, let's do that. They don't ever explain that in the movie. It just no. all of a sudden the paper just says Dumbledore's <laughs> army on it. And then uh, at the end, it, it, it like the movie. Yeah. Again, the movie doesn't explain it all. And when we get to the scene later, it's just sort of, again, never touched upon. It's like Dumbledore's army. And we're like, if you were watching the movie, you wouldn't really know why they named it that or where that name came from. You might even think it was somehow Dumbledore because right. he instantly takes yeah, credit for it in the movie. Takes credit for it, and that scene is not as fleshed out as no. it needed to be. But we'll get to that we'll get later. To that. We're, we're, we're all we're like halfway done with better in the book. Oh God! So <laughs> the other segment's way shorter as usual. Yeah. Uh, let's talk the room of requirement. Yeah. Because one once again we have a movie that cuts Dobby. Yes. Dobby is no longer or not in the film, because which again in, in is a book, mistake. It's Dobby that tells Harry about, about the rumor requirement because he knows that it's there because he's, he, yeah, he's a house elf and he used it to take care of Winky. Yes. One night when Winky when gets too drunk very, yeah. <laughs> on Butterbeer. <laughs> um, so the movie has Neville find it, which would be fine, except the way that the movie does it doesn't really make sense. No, because the thing with the room of requirement is that it reveals itself to you when you have great need of it and you walk past a certain part on a wall three times (laughs) but with the way it plays out in the movie there's no indication that he had great need of the room of requirement other than they generally say harry says in a voiceover hey keep a come up with ideas for where we can meet yeah and so i guess they're all kind of thinking about where could we meet and then there's just a random scene of neville walking by and then the room's there Again, it's not really how it works. I have it in a, I have a mention of this in a different segment for a reason, but yeah, it's again, it's really a mistake to cut Dobby from this yeah. film. And then Hermione just kind of like voiceover explains what the room of requirement is. Yeah, yeah, she does. They're like, <laughs> which fair enough because she's yeah. the only one who's read Hogwarts a history. A history. Hogwarts <laughs> a history. <laughs> Although if it was in the book, then everybody would know about it. Yeah, you would it. think, right? Yeah. Like you would think more of the teachers would know about yeah. it, but whatever. Whatever, whatever, whatever movie, whatever. 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 Uh, Hermione comes up with some cool th- coins in the book that allow them to find or know when meetings are coming up. I don't know how you would really make that work in a movie. Mm. I get that, but they think they're cool. Basically, Harry changes the the serial number on his galleon and then yeah. it changes it on everybody else's and then that says like the next time yeah so they all have like a little secret thing yeah so, they so know that if umbledore if umbridge finds it it just looks like yeah it just a looks gallium. like money she wouldn't have any idea fucking nigel again <laughs> at least there's some consistency who is nigel <laughs> why is he in this movie he's just a kid with a super british name <sighs> just make him one of the creevy brothers well I, he is in the book he is yeah the that's creevy what, brothers are there i know they're in the group i don't know why the creevy like i, I don't i don't get it maybe he's named after like somebody's son I, it must be they were like happy birthday nigel i'm putting you in a harry potter movie i don't know, I don't know. just make it one of the creevy brothers uh this is a big one but also not uh, the quidditch yeah, Again, we've totally discussed cut. this. I get why after the 
first and second movie. I guess the second. Whenever they win the cup, which yeah. is the, the third there's, one. There's a, a little bit of Quidditch in the third one. It's like one match. Yeah, because we see the that's the, the, the Dementor. Oh, yeah. The they, yeah, and the, but they cut the them winning that yes. year because they win that year and we don't see that. Yes. That's, um, but anyways, there's no Quidditch in the fourth book because of the Triwars of Tournament. But yeah, it's back in this one. Uh, they cut it. I get it. You, you know, kind of be boring to watch all three. You can't right. show all three. Again, if this is a TV series... Ten, ten part. Yeah, and, it, this book was ten a, episodes. You could put one every three episodes, sure. Yeah, and it's a, it's a, it's not even a B plot. It's like a C or a yeah, D it's, plot. It is. That it's not. It's nice for character development. In this one specifically, because Ron joins the team. Yes, but it's not like wholly no. necessary to the plot. No, no, not at all. Not not to the plot or necessarily even to the themes. Things like yeah. Dobby and Winky, which are cut, which, you know, are important to sort of the themes and the overall message and the story, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. This is less so. But what it does offer is some character growth for Ron. Mm-hmm. Um, and another reason for Harry to be angry and frustrated. And another re- for ha- reason for Harry to be angry and frustrated because he gets banned from Quidditch. Yes. Uh, he gets in a fight, him and the Weasley twins, well, one of them, get in a fight with Malfoy after the first game. Because Malfoy is being a shithead. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Umbridge bans all three of them, uh, Harry and both the Weasley twins, even though one of them yeah, wasn't that's fighting. Yeah, like the pinnacle of unfair. Yeah. She's just like, oh, we better ban his twin, too. Yeah, because he like, he was trying fuck? to get to the fight, but he didn't. He was being restrained. Um, but, I, you know, I, the only thing I would have liked to see about that is just watch uh, the Weasley, or one of the Weasley twins and Harry, like, beat the shit out of Malfoy would have been fun, but <laughs> yeah. you know, whatever. Um, and Ron ultimately, uh, Gryffindor ends up winning the cup because Ron has a spectacular yeah. performance yeah, in the final, some, some character growth there. And in the final match, he performs really well. And so they win, um, without Harry playing. So also Jenny gets to play Quidditch. With yeah. Us. And, and a thing that Harry, uh, Trevor asked in the first episode, can you win a match or can you lose a match and catch the snitch? happens in this it happens it in the does. world cup yeah but it also happens in this in the first game or the second game jenny catches it but ron lets in like a bajillion points yeah and so they <laughs> lose still in the movie they they're at the da they're learning levy corpus which yes. they don't do in the book no they learn like stunning and patronuses and a bunch of other stuff i'm not sure why they decided that was a thing they wanted to learn because again they don't do it in the book and it's interesting because luna does use it because mm-hmm. I, I had this note earlier, like, why the heck are they learning that? And then I was like, well, Luna uses it in the final battle mm-hmm. against the Death Eaters. But I don't understand in that moment why it's effective, because all it does is lift a person in the air. And for some reason, that incapacitates this Death Eater to the point that they can't do anything. And I'm like, what? They still would have their wand probably and be able to like do stuff. I don't know. It's very strange. I just thought it was. I don't know. I think you you have another note here. Yeah. I think you're probably right because with the brief moment of Snape's memory that we see, we see James use yeah, Levy, Levy Corpus, Corpus, and I'm almost certain that they included it just to remind everyone yeah of what that is but it's magic you don't have to set up every magic spell that they don't do that with half the other magic spells in the like what's the they don't explain what well let me just reduct they don't explain what reducto is that's for sure i don't don't know let me just get the director on the phone here i know i just thought it was weird (laughs) you don't have to set up every magic spell (laughs) it's magic like if he points his wand and the person flies in the air we got it it's it's doing a spell that makes him fly in the air 
I like the the book sort of portrays Neville as a way more competent mm-hmm. over the course of the book than he seems to appear in the movie. Now they give him a little bit of this in the movie, uh, but it's like he's completely incompetent for most of the film. And then at mm-hmm. one point he like disarms somebody once in like their DA meetings and everybody's like, yeah, Neville, you did it. But in the book, over the course of the thing, he gets really, really good, especially yeah. it's spurred on by the, the escape of the Death Eaters from yes, Azkaban. Be- provides some motivation for it because we find out that they were the ones some of them were responsible for his parents uh, torture. And so that he's like become super determined after that and actually gets really good. And there, there, there's a moment where it's mentioned in the book that he like disarms Hermione like a bunch of times in a row. Like mm-hmm. he gets really good. Like and I don't know if the movie's ever I'm interested to see going forward how much he's even in it. If the movies ever really portray how how much of a, a an arc he has from completely kind of the butt of a joke. Yeah. Incompetent to literally like as pretty much as effective and as good as the rest of them yeah, are. Yeah, he ends um, up as just as good as anyone else. And I mean, I do remember, ulti- and again, I don't remember how well the movie does it, but ultimately he leads like the revolution at Hogwarts yeah, <laughs> in yeah. Harry's absence. when he Harry is, and He is the leader of the Hogwarts resistance. <laughs> yeah, when Harry and Ron and Hermione are out chasing horcruxes, he's at Hogwarts like taking care of business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that's at least alluded to in the movie from what I remember, but I, I, again, I'm interested to see if they give him his due um so we already talked a bit about dumbledore and his character assassination in the movies <laughs> yeah well this isn't even necessarily character assassinate assassination it's just again my thing of, of seeing people be really competent and good at doing things that i and <laughs> how i enjoy that is that after arthur gets bitten after harry sees mr weasley get bitten by the snake yeah um he goes and he tells Dumbledore and Dumbledore jumps into action. We see some of that in the movie where he goes to the different portraits and he he has them go off and do things. And then it, it just that that it's always really impressive to me. Somebody watch somebody that smart mm-hmm. do that kind of like think that quickly and and do, you know, jump into action so fast. Um, and we get a little bit of it in the movie, but it's 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 a little bit cut short. Uh, and I, I just. I don't know. I wish they had sort of expanded. <laughs> they could always just make things more and make people look more competent in films. I don't know. Do you hear that, Hollywood? <laughs> Please make people look more competent in films. Especially when you're adapting them from books where they are very competent. Uh, so the book does a way better job of explaining Sirius's whole situation with his family. Yeah. Although Trevor has a question about yeah, that later. Yeah, coming up so here. Yeah. We should, yeah, we'll kind of yeah, hang we'll, out on to that we'll one. We'll come but, back to that point. But yeah. The, know that the book does a better job of better it. Better job. It is a little thing, but the night bus shows up again in the book. It would have been fun to see it again when they go back to Hogwarts after the Christmas or something like that. I can't remember. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Somewhere around Christmas, they take the night bus to get somewhere. Yeah. And uh, Stan Shunpike shows up for a brief moment. And again, I get it. Doesn't really matter. But Hagrid comes back from his mission. He's been missing most of the first semester mm-hmm. uh, in the book. He comes back in the movie. A couple little things that annoyed me in the movie. Not annoyed me. That I, that were different. One, in the book, it's described, uh, and at least from the illustration we see of him in one of the headings of the chapters, he is, like, beat to a pulp. Yeah. He's uh, and, pretty messed up. And and so they're, like, super concerned. And every time that the uh, Harry and Ron and them see him, he has new injuries. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of the source of this mystery of why is he still hurt? What's going on? In the movie, when the one time we see him, he is, like, a little bit bruised on his face. They yeah, do at he least... has, like, a little cut 
like yeah. a, a little bit of a black whereas eye. in the in the movie his whole side of his face or in the book the whole side of his face is like swollen shut and mm-hmm. i don't know i guess again that kind of ties into this uh, trying to write a line for like kids consumption yeah. well, and there now correct me if i'm wrong here with a rating system is there something about like visible blood probably okay probably i don't know but i would say probably oh no but we see it on maybe you get like one because we see it on arthur yeah. when he gets bit yeah by the snake we see some like you know cuts on him basically so i don't know there could be i they could have been riding that line um also they cut hagrid's entire story about the giants again i mm-hmm. get that but it is interesting mm-hmm. the whole tale about when they him and uh yeah Hagrid's tale. Yeah, that's what it's called. The uh, chapter title, which is a reference to Chaucer. Is it? She does that a lot. Oh, know? no, she okay. Uh yeah, I don't I don't know my Chaucer very well, so um but he basically explains like this whole story about how they met the giants and they were talking to him and then Death Eaters showed up and then there was a giant revolt. It's it's really interesting. Uh it's very depressing, but it's very yeah. interesting. <laughs> Uh, and the movie just kind of cuts it out and has Hagrid just go, well, I'm sure some of them might. We get to learn all about giant politics. Yeah. So, yeah, I just interesting. Thought, again, it's interesting. I get, I get it would be boring to sit there and watch Hagrid explain this whole story mm-hmm. to them. So they kind of just trim it down to the last sentence he tells them, which is like, yeah, I talked to the giants. Hopefully some of them paid attention and want to come help. You're going to have to talk about this because I don't remember what there's, you're talking about. There's a brief moment in the book where I think he's in class. Or I don't remember where Harry is, but I just remember the description of what happens. And I thought it was I really wish it had been in the movie because it's a very striking moment Mm -hmm. where throughout the course of the book, we've been set up that Harry's feeling the emotions that Voldemort feels whenever Voldemort feels very strong emotions. uh, Harry also feels them Mm -hmm. through the connection, through the scar. And there's one moment and it's because of the escape from Azkaban of the Death Eaters where Voldemort is super happy and laughing like a maniacal evil laugh and harry also laughs out this maniacal yeah. evil laugh in the middle i sw- it's like in class or something it's like somewhere where there's like people around and i was like that would have been a really interesting mm-hmm. yeah that would have been interesting like, thing to see and to see the other students reactions to this and i don't know it's, they, they don't have it in there i, I thought that would have been i just wish they would have done that uh, the movie drops the entire story with uh, Harry doing an exclusive interview written by Rita Skeeter, published yes. in The Quibbler. Yes. Which is well known for, it's kind of like It's a, the a Inquirer yeah. type of thing where they publish stories about like creatures that don't exist, you know, like right. Bigfoot basically type stuff. Um, Nargles. Nargles and crumpled horn snorkacks and, you know, all these. Luna's father runs this newspaper and they, yeah, they publish wacky stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but they'll publish this story that ha- Harry is going to tell to Rita Skeeter because, you know, they'll, they'll publish anything pretty much. Mm-hmm. And so Hermione's like, look. People don't aren't buying what the ministry is telling them, even though it's going to be in this bad man, this terrible magazine, because they fully admit like and Hermione, God love her. It's one of the reasons I like her so much is like she's like, none of this stuff exists. This is so stupid. But um, but she's like, look, if we get in this magazine, it doesn't matter if it's in this 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 rag. It's an alternative uh, account of events that people aren't hearing and that they, you know, yeah, the fact getting it in front of their eyes is more important than the fact that it's going to be published in this in a less than reputable 
journal. Um, and so, yeah, they put it out and it's, you know, his account of everything that happened with Voldemort and all that stuff. And that's what ultimately gets people to start buying in. And right. And the timing is good because, like you mentioned, after the breakout from Azkaban, yes. people are kind of like, yeah, we don't really buy what the ministry yeah. is saying about that. So it, it was good timing for that. And it kind of really starts to turn the tide of like people believing what Harry has to say. And more importantly, because Umbridge bans the magazine yes. <laughs> banned book week so tie-in <laughs> everyone reads it yes umbridge bans it so obviously everybody yeah everybody reads it and uh, that's ultimately what makes seamus after he reads it mm -hmm. is yeah, what that's, makes that's him what makes him come around not because in the movie it's just it's apparently the fact that he saw the azkaban people i don't even yeah you know. he just all of a sudden is like i believe you now and it's like all right okay. well. all right seamus yeah uh, the movie also cuts um, the trip to the hospital, St. Mungo's. Yeah, St. Mungo's Hospital. Where we see Neville's parents. Yeah, and that's a big one for yeah. me. I think that's a really was a mistake. Now, apparently, from what I've read, this was originally supposed to be in the film. I think they also realized that this was potentially a pretty important mm -hmm. um, moment. Um, but... I think seeing Neville's parents in the hospital would have really driven home how terrible this the potentiality of the Death Eaters are and yeah. and and how bad Voldemort is. Like you can say like, oh, they killed people and they're evil. And, you know, you we can hear a story and see a picture of Neville's parents back when they were happy or whatever. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't drive home in the same way when in the book we get a, an interaction between Neville and his parents who are in a psych ward, essentially, yeah, because they're yeah. tortured to insanity and they, they're shells of their former selves. Like they, they seem to somewhat recognize Neville and his grandma, um, but like she she brings him like a, And again, now I don't I guess it's magical so you can. It has leeway in terms of a depiction of some sort of mental yeah uh you know insanity or I, whatever the right word would be i don't know how again how accurate this necessarily is in terms of like depicting that but it's it's magic so you can kind of there's probably a little bit of leeway there um but like she brings him like a, a bubblegum wrapper and like yeah. gives it to neville and it's this really heartbreaking moment where his grandma says you know because his grandma is a very matter-of-fact woman and like she's very proud of her of of neville's parents for what they sacrificed and that sort of thing but she's also like a very sort of hard line like mm -hmm. she's an old soldier yeah she's an old soldier she's been there and she, so she's like and she says something to neville about like oh he's got a million of those you can throw it in the basket or throw it in the trash can or whatever but neville keeps it and puts it in his pocket yeah and i think seeing that that moment and and seeing how evil what the death eaters can do is mm -hmm. uh and there's a lot of moments that the where the death eaters do get neutered throughout the course of this book or the movie sorry throughout the course of this movie where they do things in the book that we see that really help drive home this they're bad like yeah. you're telling us they're bad throughout the course of these movies but we're not seeing as much of them being bad and it really Again, it's a film, show don't tell, would really help to be able to see <laughs> some of how bad they are. Uh, and that would have been a really a really good one, but we, we don't get it. The other thing that we miss out yes. on with uh, cutting that trip to St. Mungo's, and, and this probably would have been cut anyway. Yeah. But while they're there at the psych ward, who should they meet? 
But Professor Gilderoy Lockhart. Yeah. Still recovering from the memory charm. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's an interesting scene. It's kind of it's a weird scene. I in the book, I don't know how I felt about it. Like it's it's again, it's his own doing. So yeah. you know, but at the same time, it feels a little gross of like laughing at this guy who can't remember who he is. Like it's kind of played for a joke, but like he literally doesn't remember who he is. And it feels again, I get it. It was it's his own doing. Yeah. But it still feels a little weird. I don't know. I felt a little uncomfortable with it in retro just rereading it. But it's not what? All right. Uh, that's all I'm saying. I don't know. Um, another thing that got cut and I totally one hundred percent get it is Harry's date with Cho Chang at Madame Puttyfoot's. Yeah. Which is like a really awful little tea shop. Um, you just wanted to see it. I just wanted to see it because yeah. it sounds super horrid. It does sound awful. It sounds awful. And that scene is super awkward in the book. And yeah. I'm super glad it wasn't in the movie. <laughs> so I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so the scene where uh, it, they they find out uh, basically in the, over the course of the, the movie since the DA's formed, they've been trying to stop them. Yeah. Um, they've known they exist. Uh, that's not really how it happens in the book. They don't. They kind of know they exist to some extent. but yeah. And they're trying to find them. But it plays out differently. Um, ultimately, uh, Cho's friend, Marietta, tells on the group, mm-hmm. tattles. Yeah, she, she rats him out. Um, in the movie, the idea, the implication, and they don't explain this till the end of the movie, but in, yeah. in the scene we see, Cho is there, like, when they, they, like, break into the room and they find him, they pull Cho, like, they have her and she's, like, there, like, so, like, the idea is that, like, she squealed or mm-hmm. whatever, I didn't understand what that was because like, wait, did she tattle on him? And we kind of ultimately figure out what happened there. Um, But that whole scene, let's, let's talk to you about the whole, uh, the room requirement first, and then we'll get to the scene where Dumbledore. Yeah. All right. So when they catch them in the room of requirement in the book, Dobby comes to warn them. Yeah. That uh, Umbridge and the, in, Inquisitorial squad. The inquisitorial squad knows where they are, and and Dobby comes to warn them, and he's like, basically, like you guys need to get out. Yeah. Um. Except he does it in a Dobbyish way. The Dobby way, where he can't, because he yeah. works for the school, right. so he can't just outright tell them. Um. So. uh <laughs> But they like blow the room apart to get in. Yeah, they like have like a battering ram or something. Uh, they use at a spell, first, I think, then, to this. Yeah, and then she like blows the wall up, which is stupid and it doesn't make any sense continuity wise because then in the seventh book we find out that if somebody's in there they can't get in yeah because like the whole idea in the book is that hermione left the list of members in there so umbridge needed proof so she walked by the room of requirement three times or maybe she sent one of the one of the squad members to do it or whatever. And lo and behold, there's your proof. The room of requirement has provided it. Yeah. That's what happens. I no. Yeah. Is it? Yes. I could have swore they just after, because I thought they could go in there because when Marietta told them about it, they were now in on they could get in there. Be- no, it's not like a secret keeper thing. I think it is because that's how the other. How do the other members get in then? 
Because the the room of requirement lets them in because they need to get in. I guess that was not how I read that at all. Just, just I'm I'm believing you. Just, I just I just need to find. All right, so they're in Dumbledore's office. Marietta has ratted them out, and Dumbledore is trying to retcon this to make it seem like they haven't been meeting for the last six months and tonight was their first meeting. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, And Kingsley... Mm -hmm. Kingsley uh, Shacklebolt. Kingsley Shacklebolt is there and he modifies Marietta's memory Mm -hmm. on the sly so Mm -hmm. that she doesn't remember that they've been meeting for the last six months. This is all the stuff I want to talk about. It's fine. Yeah, But in terms of things I like more about this scene in the book. And then Umbridge says, Miss Edgecombe tipped me off, and I proceeded at once to the seventh floor, accompanied by certain trustworthy students, Uh so as to catch those in the meeting red-handed. It appears they were forewarned of my arrival, however. That was Dobby. Yeah, and they all run out. Because when we reached the seventh floor, they were running in every direction. Mm -hmm. It does not matter, however. I have all their names here. Miss Parkinson ran into the room of requirement yeah, for me to see if it. they had ran any, left anything behind. We needed evidence, and the room provided. Oh. And to Harry's horror, she withdrew from her pocket the list of names that had been pinned upon the room of requirements wall and handed it to Fudge. You know, see, it's funny you say that because, but he says it had been pinned on the wall of the room. Mm-hmm. To me, I know, and now I don't disagree with your reading of it, but I always read that as just when she says we needed evidence in the room provided. She just means we went in the room and there was evidence in there. Because the list was in there. It's not like, you know what I mean? Like they had the list in the room. So I I always just read it as they just got into the, because Marietta told them about the room, they were able to just get into it. Well, right. Because Marietta told them, now they know where the room is. Okay. Because in the in the book, they don't know where the room of requirement yeah. is. That's a movie thing. Right, right, right. No, I know. I I, I agree. I agree. Um, but I didn't read it as. And now again, part of this is because I I guess part of it might be in, informed by the fact that I forgot about the other extra rules we get about the room of requirement mm-hmm. later. But I to me that wasn't. Uh, they had to then walk back and forth three times. I my reading of it in this book, and again, this maybe even maybe it's a retcon in book seven, or maybe I that was always how it was intended. I just read this as the first person who goes into the room does the thing, walks back and forth three times, the room, and goes, "Okay, I need a, a place where we can practice defense against the dark arts." Makes the room. They go inside, and then anybody else who that knows about the room can kind of come and knows where it is, can show up and go inside. I mean, maybe. But I but I think you're right. I, I think you're right. We don't get that, like, explanation explicitly. Like, to me, the key line is, we needed evidence and the room provided. No, that... Which I guess you could read either way. See, I just never thought about it that way, but it does make sense. I totally I agree that that makes sense. I just... Yeah, that was never how I read it. I just read it as they got there, they saw the door, they ran in, found the list, because in their rush to run out of the room, they had just left the list there and it wasn't the room providing it. It was just Hermione providing it by leaving the list there. But that that was just how I always sort of read it. But no, it it makes sense. Well, let us know what you think. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think with tweet us or something with the increase with the information from 
seven about how the room works added on that yeah. probably makes more sense. Well, I just think it doesn't make sense that they're able to like blast their way into the room. Yeah, it's silly. It's and just the movie, it's the movie thought it was more dramatic, I guess. But yeah, it, it it's kind of dumb. And then ultimately, uh, yeah, in the book, Marietta rats him out, which then Cho defends her, which is what makes Harry mad at Cho and yeah, kind of is the beginning their of their falling, falling out. out. Uh, among other things, there's lots of other reasons, but that's one of the reasons. Um, ultimately, this all ends up with them in Dumbledore's office. Fudge, Shacklebolt, Umbridge, Harry, Hermione. Mm-hmm. I think Hermione's there. Maybe not. Yeah, I think she is. And Cho, or not Cho, Marietta are there in the book. Uh, Kingsley, they they start... I like the way the scene plays out in the book because it's this, how the heck are they going to get out of this situation? You're yeah. like, they are caught. Yes. Especially because Marietta's there, but in the book, she won't... She... she uh, Hermione did a little slick piece of jinxing on the list that they all signed, where if any of them tells tattles, basically they get jinxed where it says sneak across their face. Mm -hmm. Um, And Marietta is super embarrassed by this. um, And so she like won't talk and like show her face. And then during that time, uh, again, the thing you talked about where Dumbledore plays it up, like this is their first meeting and they never actually met. And when they talked about this again, some more of the lawyering of Dumbledore where, Oh, well, when you saw them in the hogshead talking about doing this, it wasn't illegal at the time. So, you know, they weren't breaking the rules then. It wasn't until after that. And they go, well, yeah, but all the meetings since then, he goes, well, have you any evidence that they were doing those meetings? And, you know, back and forth. All that plays out is really interesting how that all progresses. Mm -hmm. Whereas in the movie, it's just immediately they walk in, they have the piece of paper and they're like Dumbledore's army and Dumbledore's like, you got me. And then the scene is like, you know, and then the, the end of the scene happens. I like the slow burn and, and the sort of figuring it out and kind of working yeah, their way through the situation we, we in the book. We get to see Dumbledore like really think on his feet. Yeah. And and, and Kingsley, because, yeah, like you said, Shacklebolt uh, affects Marietta's memory so that she starts saying, no, we never met before. Yeah. No, I don't remember meeting any other times. Um and then ultimately it ends with Her- or with Dumbledore, the great line, which we'll talk about later, but uh, making his escape. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks OK in the movie, but I really like uh, the moment in the book where he knocks everybody down or he, he does a spell that like knocks everybody out or specific doesn't knock everybody out because he's better than that. It knocks out Umbridge, Fudge, Shacklebolt and the other R who's there. Dollish, who is a Death Eater, I think. Um, if I remember correctly, knocks them out. But then he comes over to McGonagall and Harry and them and is like, they're going to think we I this all happened instantaneously. So when I'm gone, just like he like gives them a, like a quick briefing. He's like, I'm going to leave. You guys get the heck out of here. McGonagall's going to cover for all this. And then when they wake up, you got to be like, oh, what happened? Like, this is interesting. And I wish that played out more similarly in the movie. Wow, we talked about that scene for way too long. <laughs> Let's move on. I don't know. This is probably something we're going to talk about. A I know. Time again. Oh, gosh. Um, so the movie doesn't have Harry look into Snape's pensive. No. So when Harry, st- uh, Snape starts teaching Harry occlumency. Mm-hmm. Happens in the book. In the book, he puts some of his memories into a pensive so that Harry can't, if Harry does defend himself, he yeah. can't get into Snape's mind and see anything that he doesn't want him to see. Yeah. Um, ultimately, what happens is that Snape has something happen. Snape leaves and leaves the pensive there. And Harry 
uh, curiosity gets the better of him yeah. and he looks into it and sees the or sees the memory of uh, his dad picking on Snape, mm-hmm. basically. One of the things they drop from that scene is that Lily is in it in the book. Mm-hmm. She's not in it in the movie, which I think is a really big mistake because it's one of, well, there's a lot of, I think it was a mistake showing this at all, us at all in the movie because they never address it. Yeah, because they never do anything with it. They never it. do anything with it in the movie, which is really weird because in the book, this is a big uh, emotional moment for Harry because he like, everything he thought he knew about his dad is completely yeah, it upended. suddenly seems untrue. Yes, because he sees his dad picking, like, mercilessly picking on Snape for no reason that he can see in this mm-hmm. instance. Uh, you know, there's Snape doesn't provoke him in any way. They basically are just bored and are like, let's go pick on that kid. Yeah. Um, and now and there's obviously history there, but, the, the, you know, it's just like, because they were bored, they go pick on him. And Harry's like, wow, my dad was a bully. Like, what the heck? Um, and on top of that, Lily in the memory seemingly like can't stand James. And so Harry's yeah. like even gets to the point where he's like, did like my dad like force her to like, did he like use a love, but like what happened? How does she, how did they end up married years from in a few years after this? Because she t- hates them. Like she can't stand them. And it's a kind of like a big emotional maturity moment for mm-hmm. Harry and sort of dealing with role models. And it also kind of parallels the fact that, you know, he also sees Dumbledore as a, as a father figure and Sirius as a father figure and all these people have lots of flaws and it's sort yeah. of and dealing Harry, with the flaws in yeah, your father he, figures. He tends to see his father figures as infallible. Yes. Which a lot of people do. A lot of people do, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it, this is really the book where he starts to get that inkling of like, oh, these people actually have flaws they aren't infallible the world isn't split into good people and death eaters yeah yeah and 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 so yeah he starts to see that but but again and and so they show us that in the movie but then they never do anything with it he never has any and they show like in the book it's like a drawn out scene they show like 20 seconds of it in the movie yeah it's very brief just him picking on snape and then again more importantly they never come back to it never have a conversation about it address it it's probably in a deleted scene you know, there's probably a moment between Sirius and him where there's they discuss it. But it's like, why even show us that if you're never going to have Harry confront it or address it? Because it's pointless yeah. then. This is also the inciting incident that makes Snape refuse to continue lessons with yeah. him. Which and it, it makes less sense to me in the movie. Because of the, in the book, Harry's kind of like being a little shit. And he yeah. looks in the, the pens. He's actively purpose, doing something he shouldn't be doing. And he knows that he shouldn't yeah. be doing it. But he does it anyway. In the movie, it's, it's like an accident. It's more like, yeah, it's an accident. And it's more like he was doing the thing that you wanted him to do. Yeah. So what's your problem, bro? Yeah, I mean, I still get it in the sense that it's it's the movie portrays it as uh, as Snape acting completely out of just like um, embarrassment. Yeah. You know, which is still kind of what it is in the book, but there's also at least it's a little more justified. His his anger in the book is a little more justified because it's Harry did, you know, do something he shouldn't have. He yeah. did violate Snape's privacy. Yeah. Uh, Hagrid gets kicked out in the book. He actually does get canned by mm-hmm. Magana or by Umbridge, which he they tease it in the movie, but it never actually happens again. Maybe it's a deleted scene. Uh, but in the book, there's a really great moment during Owl's. I say great. It's crazy. But I again, there's this happens in like every book where Haggard gets a moment to be a badass and, and they never the show it in the movie. It, yeah. Um, and so we had the him choking Carker off in the last one. We don't have that in this one. McGonagall and I assume uh, maybe like Dollish or some of the Inquisitors. We don't know who is with her, but like four or five 
wizards of some sort go with her to in the middle of the night to kick out umbridge sorry not McGonagall. not McGonagall. yeah go with umbridge to kick uh hagrid out in the middle of the night yeah and they get there and and there's a a, a scrum and and they start fighting and hagrid just starts beating the shit out of all these wizards and they're shooting spells at him and they're just bouncing off of him yeah. because and that's a, i swear we don't ever see that in the movies which is so like why would you not have that movie? Mean, it's not, he gets to be the incredible Hulk and you're not going to put that in your movie. Like, yeah, he, he spells bounce off of them and he like picks up people and throws them across rooms or, or across the field. It, like, it's just, it would be really cool to see. And they don't, they don't include it at all. And then on top of that, at the end of that McGonagall comes out to try to like, you know, calm this action or the situation yeah. down. And, as soon as she walks out of the doors, she gets hit with four stunners, like stun spells. Mm-hmm. And she's like an old ass woman. And she like immediately crumples. Yeah. Or gets knocked back off of her feet. And so she ends up going to the hospital because yeah, she, she has to recover. To, to leave Hogwarts, with his, which is a plot point later. Yes. Yeah. Because ultimately, uh, when we find out that Sirius is potentially captured... Mm-hmm. Or, you know, is being held prisoner and tortured. Harry's like, hey, I got to find somebody from the Order. And he's like, okay, Dumbledore's not here. McGonagall's not here because they're all in the Order. I guess we don't know McGonagall's in the Order in the films. That's never, yeah, I guess. at least in yeah. this film, we have, they don't, she's never at Grimald Place that we see. So, but McGonagall's in the Order. Uh, so, but he can't tell McGonagall she's in the hospital. He can't, don't go to Dumbledore. He can't go to Hagrid because he's gone again he could go to Hagrid like none of the people yeah. you would normally go to in the book he has no he has no options yeah, of he like, has no options which is why he ends up trying to contact Sirius go to the fire to and the try fire. to talk yeah that which is why he does that because yeah otherwise he could just go to McGonagall and they yeah. get sorted out um so her not yeah being gone it kind of or Hagrid kind of yeah it, it makes, makes some, some a plot hole there, there. Um, but again if they never they never illustrate that those people are in we don't know in the film that he could go to them because uh, yeah. we don't know that they're in the order. But I mean, I guess you could. Yeah. Well, we know Hagrid was doing stuff for the order. Yeah, that's true. I, nah, nah. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. OK, we talked about this earlier. But so when they go to the fire. or So basically, Hagrid or Sirius or geez, oh, my <laughs> mind is melting at this point. Harry has the vision of Sirius in being tortured. And he's like, they're going to kill him. We have to go save him. But they want to confirm that it's actually that it, Hermione's like, it could be fake. We should yeah. check it out. And so he goes to the uh, Umbridge's fire because it's not being monitored, which is similar in the book. But in the movie, this makes no sense. So they catch him in the fire, which is what happens in the book. But in the in the book, we set up that Hermione or not Hermione, Jenny, Luna and not Neville, actually. But Jenny and Luna are helping. Yeah. Uh, and maybe Neville is, too. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. They're all helping Harry as like lookouts and part of the plot, they're helping mm-hmm. kind of cause a distraction so that Harry can get into her office and look and use the fire. Uh, and so that's why they all get captured and end up together in the movie. It's just Harry, Hermione and Ron run into her office because she's being distracted by the Weasleys or whatever, or whatever just happened with that. And then they, she comes in and grabs them, but then also for some reason, Jenny, yeah, there's like a cut. And Luna and Neville are there. And Malfoy says, I found the Neville. I found the Longbottom trying to help Jenny or something. But we're like, do what? Yeah, we don't. 
we didn't see what why are they like there's no reason for them to have been caught or because they were not involved in anything that was going on in the movie it, it, it's a continuity error that makes literally no sense yeah but they just had to figure out a way to do it again maybe there's a deleted scene that makes it make sense but boy that was that there's was weird gotta be a delete there has there to has be because it just makes there. it makes no sense also there's a weird mention that cho confessed under veritaserum like that's why and so like that's kind of like the big revelation to like harry and them like oh you guys were mad at cho but all along she didn't it wasn't like her choice you know she got she had truth serum but in the book it's snape as a member of the order has not been giving umbridge real veritaserum all year yeah because he doesn't want her getting the truth out of Harry and them about because she's like tries to interrogate Harry at one point in the book and give him Veritasrum and he he smartly realizes I shouldn't yeah, drink and this he tea. Yeah, doesn't drink the tea. But it's like the movie's like okay, well, so then he did give him real Veritasrum. But if he did that, if Snape gave Umbridge real Veritasrum that worked on Cho, if Umbridge had used it on Harry. She could have found out where the Order of the Phoenix yeah, was. She, she could, could it could have, have ruined everything. everything. So that everything. can't possibly have that. Uh, that's one of those little things where it's the movie. Where it's like a misunderstands. Yeah. It, where it's like the whoever was adapting it didn't put the pieces put together. the pieces together and didn't understand what was happening there. Yeah, yeah. As like you, you, you that no. Okay, fine. <laughs> okay, cool. No setup for the centaurs. We see them earlier in the book, and then they yeah. just kind of show up at the end, and they don't say a word yeah, when so they take Umbridge away. Basically, no setup for how the centaurs are feeling. No, or which why? Yeah, is shat upon. And now at the end here, we just get oh hey Umbridge, they, they, the bigot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well, that's the other thing is that Umbridge. We don't get nearly as much of a setup for how much of a bigot Umbridge is in the yeah. movie. We have a couple little moments. But that, like, throughout the course of the, like, the, one of our first introductions to her, she says she has a line about half breeds, and it becomes very clear very quickly. Oh, that's the kind of person you are. Yeah. And, and numerous recurring elements of that throughout, where you know, half breeds and 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 and, and nine. Yeah. And non-human and all creatures this, all this and gross language. Yeah. And, and so we realize, oh, you're a bigot. Um, and so then when she runs into the centaurs at the end and she starts insulting them and saying, saying they have near human intelligence and all mm-hmm. this stuff, it makes sense. And we're like, oh, OK, but we don't get that set up. So it feels kind of like. Yeah, it, like it's not completely. No, because it, it still field, fits with their character. It's just. But it's still like to me, the fact that there's no there's little to no setup for why the centaurs are upset. Yeah. Is the bigger sin. Yeah. They just show up and they're like, you. They're like, fuck you, fuck you, grunt, grunt. Yeah, it's it's weird. They completely kind of just neuter the complexity of what's going on with. (laughs) Yeah, the movie really neuters their complexity, which is also kind of problematic in another way. Yeah, because the movie makes a very clear like it very clearly aligns them with like first nations people yeah because it makes a reference to how like the government limits what land land they can live on that's in the book for sure is it in the movie it's mentioned in the book somewhere but it is in the movie because i noticed it okay because umbridge says something about like oh "Oh, the ministry allows you to live yeah they're very much a first nations implication there so it, it is yeah, it's problematic, problematic to not have them say anything and just be like, Ooh, yeah, shooting arrows at you. Shooting arrows. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fair point. Oh, there's a little thing, but when they're flying to the ministry, 
uh, they, they've taked Thestrals. Mm-hmm. And as we know, the Thestrals can only be seen by people who have seen people die. And so the only people who can see them are Luna, Neville, and Harry. And it's mentioned in the book that they like have to help everybody else get on the Thestrals. And I thought that just the people getting on Thestrals who can't see them would have been a fun scene to see. Yeah. I, I, maybe a little moment of levity in this like breakneck, <laughs> uh, terrifying, you know, finale of this film. Um, but yeah, I, I whatever. I that get would be it. terrifying. This is a big one. This is a huge one, and I can't believe they cut it. I'm not even joking. It's tiny, but it's huge. When they get to the ministry, they go through the visitor's entrance, and when you do that, you go into the receiver, and they don't show this at any point. Mm -hmm. You go into the receiver, and the receiver says, hey, what's your business here at the ministry? And you say, uh, like in the beginning, Arthur says, Arthur Weasley and Harry Potter uh, trial or something like that. You know, it says why they're there. Um, And when they get there to go try to rescue Sirius, the seven of them get there, six of them, and Harry goes into the receiver and they say, well, what's your business? And he says, Harry Potter. And he lists everybody off. And he says, uh, we're here to save my, yeah, he says, uh, my we're here godfather. To save someone or yeah, something. we're here to save my godfather. We're here to save someone. And so they give the the name tag, basically. And the name tags come out and Harry Potter picks it up and it says Harry Potter rescue mission. <laughs> <laughs> and that's such I love it. And it's like a that's a Marvel movie joke. <laughs> written, written in 2005 or whenever it really is like it really that is, yeah. is a great joke it's amazing and i what i would have loved and now i get why they didn't do it i would have loved even if they didn't show that scene if they just after they got into the ministry we saw they had little badges even if you couldn't even see what they said i would know it's harry potter <laughs> rescue mission and i would have loved it <laughs> But uh, I was so disappointed <laughs> that they didn't have that in there. Uh, the movie also cuts literally all of the other rooms in the Department, in the of, Department Mysteries. of Mysteries. I mean, we have we have the the room with all the prophecies. That's yeah, the only. And room we have room. the room with oh, the archway. And the, and the archway, yeah. But there's a there's the spinning door room, which yeah. is like the the confuse you so you can't get out or you know, yeah. kind of like a security system that makes it hard to find your way around. Uh, there's the room that is the time room, which has all mm-hmm. the clocks and the bell jar in it. Um, which the bell jar is really interesting. There's the room with the brains in a vat in it, which is <laughs> wild. <laughs> the brains attack Ron, which uh, yeah. that's not in the movie. Um, so they literally just cut all of that out. Like there's a moment where, like I said, with the bell jar, where one of the Death Eaters after the fight breaks out falls into this bell jar, which has a described as like a, a bird that is moving from top to bottom. And as it moves back and forth, it goes from an egg to like an old bird and then yeah. back to an egg. Um, and the <laughs> the death and this would be horrific to some extent, so I get why they didn't put it in there. But the Death Eater falls and his head falls in, and he de-ages into a baby, and then yep, gets just out just his head, just his head, just his head. So then at one point, and then he ages back up, and then he de-ages down. But at one point, he pulls his head out, and so he's wandering around as a human, a, a grown man body with a bawling baby head on top. And I'm, I get why it's not in the movie, but man. <laughs> It's bananas. I guess it would have been a hard effect to do. Uh, I mean, it would have been, eh, they could have done it. I mean, yeah, it's an extra effect you would have to do. Yeah. I think more importantly, it's, it's kind of fucking intent. Like, it's dark. I don't know. It's not, I guess, uh, to me, it's a little dark. Yeah. Like, it's, it's weird. It's weird. It's, yeah. It's it's like it's dark, but it's something that could potentially be played as, like, gallows humor. Yeah. Kind well, and that's kind of how it is in yeah. the book, is, is a, a little bit how it feels. Okay, now we get into some of my big ones. <laughs> We're finally two hours in. Jesus. Getting to my big gripes with this movie. The smoke teleportation. The smoke monster teleportation they all do. 
I can't stand it. I hate it. I hate everything about it. Uh, so all of the Death Eaters fly around as black smoke. Yes. And all the Order of the Phoenix can fly around as like a white smoky monster. I say that it's from Lost. They're like the smoke monster from Lost is basically what they look like. <laughs> I hate it for a couple of reasons. One, it robs us of more interesting dueling because they sort of fight each other in that mm-hmm. form where they like fly through each yeah, other. Yeah, they like fly around each other. Yeah, and, uh, whatever. Yeah. And so that's to me, that's boring because um, it's I'm way more interested in watching them actually duel, like yeah. actually cast spells. And I think it's a very sort of lazy way out of doing that. Mm-hmm. Like instead of having them actually dueling and doing interesting spell stuff, it's just we'll just animate this kind of like vague like. Yeah. The white and dark swirls at each other. Like, okay, fine. And then on top of that, it's explicitly stated in book seven, I think, or six, um, Voldemort can fly Mm -hmm. without the assistance of a broom or anything. And Mm -hmm. that's like a big deal. Yeah. Like, holy shit, he can just fly around. Yeah, because he has like figured out how to do that. Yeah. Nobody else knows. Nobody else knows how to do that. But everybody else knows how to do that in the movies, <laughs> so it's not interesting. <laughs> um, I, it's I I I I hate that little one, but big one. They change the color of Stupefy in the movies mm-hmm. for no reason. Why? Stupefy is red in the books. In the movie, every time they cast it, it's like. And now this probably changes from movie to movie. I don't yeah. even remember. But in this one, it's like whitish blue, like just generic white spell effect. It's red. Make it red. It's red. It's just, why? Why? Why would you change that? I, because the good guys use it a lot. Yeah. And I, oh, that's red true. Is an evil that's what color. it is. That's what it is. Thanks, Star Wars. That's what it is. Oh, that's so. No, that's not Star Wars. Well, because in Star mm. Wars, no, I mean, mm. but no, no. In Star Wars, the I mean, I get what you're saying, but the lasers, the good guys shoot red lasers. The bad guys shoot green lasers. The bad guys have red lightsabers and the good guys have blue and green I'm lightsabers. But more when they of the sh- lightsabers. But when they shoot, which is closer to like a spell shooting out, the good guys have red lasers. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, but people remember the lightsabers. <laughs> and I think uh, kind of going on with this last battle, this is where my biggest problems. It's, <laughs> I don't think this movie, I don't think the movie remotely captures like the the sort of terror and violence of the final battle with the yeah. Death Eaters. Yeah. Like it, it is chaotic. It is brutal like to some extent um uh, like the part with like i said with the baby head thing and then the brains coming out and like ron gets grabbed by the brains and like uh, hermione gets hit with a spell and and they think she might be dead yeah like they're not sure if she's yeah, alive she just, or not like, goes down yeah she like goes down by and they know it's not about a cadaver because it's like white or blue or something um but they're like shit she might be dead ron gets grabbed by this brain and they think he's dying they don't know if he's gonna live um on top of just all the other nonsense of them fighting through all these different rooms and all this stuff happening. Um, and I also think the, the hall of prophecies is really, cause it's all CG. Mm-hmm. It's a little dated and looks a little s- super CG heavy. It, it does. Like it's, it does. it's, it's, it's not great. It, it didn't age particularly well. No. Okay. This is the one that drove me insane when I was, I, we got, this might be longer than the, Goblet of Fire one. Um, when I re- saw this movie after reading this book, this drove me crazy. Now, in retrospect, on rereading and rewatching, I'm okay with it because it makes sense. But in the movie, Sh- Bellatrix hits Sirius with Vada Kedavra. 
Mm-hmm. We hear her say it. We see the green spell come out. Mm-hmm. And it hits him. In the book, this is what is described. Only one couple was still battling, apparently unaware of the new arrival. The Dumbledore shows up early in the book yeah. and is helping during this point. Harry saw Sirius duck Bellatrix's jet of red light. He was laughing at her. Come on, you can do better than that, he yelled, his voice echoing around the cavernous room. The second jet of light hit him squarely in the chest. The laughter had not died from his face, but his eyes widened in shock. And then he falls through the yeah. thing. So we don't know what color the spell is. And yeah. the spell before that was red. Yes. That's what we know. So there was lots of speculation on the internet. Is serious after this book? Because he falls. To, also, the sort of mystery of the veil and what it is. And yeah. what it, now, looking back on it, rereading it, I absolutely think, of course, Sirius was always going to be dead. It's very obvious to me now. Um, but at the time, I was... I was I was buying into the train of what does this mean? What does the veil mean? Is there something could Sirius come back somehow? Is there some way they're going to what's going to felt like something could happen in Mm -hmm. book six with Sirius or book seven or whatever. But when you see him hit with Avada Kedavra, it's like, oh, but no, he's dead. You know what I mean? Like that. And then it's different because that we know the books and movies make it very clear. There's no coming back from that. And there's there. Yeah, there's not really any room for speculation. There's no speculation there. And to me, it just killed the speculation. And it drove me insane because I I was like, oh, you know, everybody like the little bit of me holding out some sort of hope that maybe there was going to be some weird thing that happened with the Mm -hmm. veil or who knows. But now I'm like, oh, no, there's not. Thanks, movie was my big problem with it. But whatever it's I like I said, in retrospect, with the way it's talked about and, and Harry's dealing with it and all that sort of stuff, I very much understand. Yeah, he's dead. And that's, mm-hmm. this is, this is the point in Harry dealing with, I, like I get it now and it would be silly to bring him back or do anything like that with it. But at the time, 15 year old me was, or I wasn't 15. I don't know. <laughs> eight, 17, 16 or whatever. I wasn't that much older. Oh my God. We're almost done with the better in the book. Um, it would have been really cool to see Dumbledore show up yeah, early and we talked fuck about up some <laughs> death eaters. Yeah. Know? Because it would be cool to see him against somebody other than Voldemort. Yeah. Because we see him against Voldemort, which is fine. But, like, to see him, like, against way lesser foes, <laughs> like, just Dumbledore <laughs> being like, what's up? I'm way better than all of you. He, like, he like groups, he, like, defeats, like, eight of them at once, basically, yeah. is kind of how it's described. And, the, and this is kind of goes back to not seeing Neville's parents tortured is, mm-hmm. uh, and, and the effects of their torture from Bellatrix and the, and the Death Eaters is that in this final battle... Neville shows up trying to be a hero with his bloody nose. I hate reading his bloody nose <laughs> voice where it's like all of the B's and D's because he's got a you know stuffy nose yeah. basically from. But he runs in trying to be the hero and he can't even cast stupefy. He just yells stupefy, stupefy over and over again. But he runs in and they grab him and Bellatrix uses Crucio on him and like tortures him in front of Harry. Yeah. And. Again, I wish we would have gotten that moment of just like, can we not see these evil people do something yeah. evil? Like, yeah, ever? let's see them be evil. Yeah. Like, I mean, you keep telling us they're bad. And yes, they're trying to accomplish, we assume, evil goals. Can we just see them like be evil? <laughs> like, just put it in the movie. Also, so then ultimately, uh, Bellatrix does run away. Harry chases her down. That all happens pretty similarly mm-hmm. after she kills Sirius. Uh, and he does hit her with Crucio in the book. Um, but in the movie, she or in the book, she just laughs at him. And it's like, yeah. she's the one who says you have to mean it. Yeah. If you want that, you know, you've never done that before. If you have to mean it. And in the movie, though, she like cowers like he yeah. hits her and she falls down and then he comes over to her and she's like. Ah. And I'm like, yeah, no. she does like a weird whimper. Thing. Yeah, it's, it's so out of character for Bellatrix. Like she's she's batty. Like 
She's not. Yeah. Like she doesn't give a shit. It, like you put stick your wand in her face. She's like, yeah, fucking do it. She like it, she's she's no, that's not not remotely within her character, mm-hmm. and it just kind of drove me crazy. Uh, something else that we don't get in the movie is the statues in the fountain that we talked about like two hours ago um come to life yeah uh dumbledore brings them to life and they're running around doing shit yeah helping him out while he's fighting with voldemort yeah they do a bunch of different stuff some of them light fires to get uh which we don't know why they're lighting fires but ultimately it's so that people can come they like call for help basically uh and I think that duel in general, it sounds way cooler in the book than it is portrayed yes. in the movie. There are some really interesting moments. It's fine in the movie that they do some cool stuff. But there's I just imagined it a lot faster than mm-hmm. it kind of happens in the movie and on a lot more back and forth. They do the dumb thing that I'm uh, it's really dumb in the in uh, at the beginning of the duel where they both Voldemort and Dumbledore both shoot a spell at each other and their wands connect and they do the like thing that Dumbledore or that Harry and Voldemort did at the end of four where the yeah the beam connects him, which doesn't make sense. Yeah, because that's only supposed to happen with ones that share a core. Yeah, as per the mythos <laughs> movie. Yeah, but the movie is unaware of this and goes, "That looks cool. Let's do that." It one, it kind of looks cool. I think it's a cool effect in the instance of, of four when when it mm-hmm. makes sense in the moment. But it's also it. I don't like it in this moment because that's boring. Just watching them circle around do that. It's way cooler. What? Because like in the book, like they shoot spells and then Voldemort makes a big shield appear out of thin yeah. air, and then a, uh, a Dumbledore makes a whip out of fire, and like it's just like show us cool weird spells. Like come up with stuff, and they do. They come up with a couple, and, and we'll I'll talk about it. But like. Yeah, I, I just think that spell that duel could have been way cooler than it was. I, I think they needed to to just do another pass on that one. Yeah. Dumbledore also has a, a line during this battle that I really like. Voldemort says something about like like just like just like kill me then or something yeah. like that. And Dumbledore says, We both know there are other ways of destroying a man, Tom. Yeah. Which is a boss ass line. It is. It really is. So this is interesting, and I don't know what to do with this one. We're so close. Um, the movie plays... Uh, so at, at the end of this battle, Voldemort um, possesses Harry. Mm-hmm. And in the book, he basically possesses him and tries says to Dumbledore, kill me. You can kill me. Kill me right now. Just kill Harry. You'll kill me. Basically is like the implication. Yeah. To see if he will. It kind of plays into Albus's character about his 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 feelings for Harry versus his desire to end this evil and, 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 you know, the mm-hmm. conflict that's within him and would would he act, you know, he's basically torturing Albus in or Dumbledore in the sense of like, come on, you can, you could end this right now. All you got to yeah. do is kill Harry. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, but you actually have to do it. You can't just kind of help Harry kill himself, which you do over the course of seven books. But in the book or in the movie, they play it as, as if Harry's like, becoming Voldemort not like becoming evil like Voldemort he starts like ah, like yeah. it's not because Dumb- or Voldemort never says like kill me like he never says like it, it plays out completely differently it, it's more of like Harry like Voldemort leaves or I guess possesses him and and Dumbledore like coaxes Harry into like not becoming Voldemort he's like you can fight it or whatever and it's just a very it's interesting a, change yeah. and I'm not sure how I feel about it. Um, I and think it, it plays more clearly in the book. Yeah. What happens. Yeah. It's just a little confusing in the, 
in the movie, but eh, I don't know. We both had this one, Harry breaking everything in Albus's office and Dumbledore's it. office. He deserves it. He deserves to he really break does. things. He does. And, it, and Dumbledore deserves to have his shit broken. Yeah. So, uh, But yeah, when he gets back after they leave, uh, after they leave the ministry, the ministry Dumb- or Harry just starts breaking all the shiny things. Yeah, he and, just starts throwing shit around and yeah. smashing it. And they, they completely cut that in the movie. Okay. And then the movie does a terrible job of explaining everything everything as we mentioned in in the intro but uh it does not explain at all that trelawney was the one who made the prediction Mm -hmm. it does not explain that it was dumbledore who witnessed the prediction Mm -hmm. and that's like kind of important (laughs) a little bit like they just do nothing with that at least a little important yeah uh, it's very strange um there's also the moment uh, going on the prefect uh thing where Dumbledore explains why he didn't make Harry a prefect and it, I thought it was fun because he's like I thought you had enough going on <laughs> like yeah. I'm not gonna make you I think you had quite enough to be getting on with or whatever um and this whole scene needed to be three times longer yeah. in the movie they they it's like three sentences and it explains almost nothing <laughs> like it, it, I was like I would be so confused if I did not read the books at what the heck this all meant there's a really good moment uh, in the book where Sir, uh, Harry's like, oh, maybe Sirius can become a ghost. And he goes and he talks to nearly headless Nick. It's a uh, pointless scene. Yeah. And Nick's like, no, he's, no. Yeah, I mean, he could, but he's not going to. Um, and I just thought it was interesting because that's the kind of thing that as a reader, you're like, well, how do ghosts happen? Yeah. Could he become a ghost? There, there are ghosts in this universe. Maybe Sirius could become a ghost. And it's that sort of thing that that question that you have as a reader that you get an answer to like where yeah. nick kind of explains how that works to some extent and is like nah he, he's not gonna be a ghost um there was a moment that i missed in the movie that's in the book of those core six who went to the ministry yeah um just like hanging out together in the hospital wing at the end and i, I thought it was a nice moment yeah you know yep because those six are, are they're important Moving yeah. forward. Yeah, Neville, Luna, Ginny, Ron, Hermione, and Harry. Yeah. And then uh finally the order confronts the Dursleys in the book. We you know, <laughs> we end it at the Hogwarts Express in the movie, kind of. Yeah. Um the movie ending's fine. But uh in the book they uh they confront the Dursleys and they're like, Hey, stop being so shitty. I was like finally somebody comes up to the Dursleys <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, can you stop abusing yeah, this right. kid? <laughs> For real. Uh, and Moody has yeah, a great Moody line. Moody has the great line. Um, Uncle Vernon says something about like not being aware of whatever. And Moody says, I expect what you're not aware of would fill several books. Yep. Got him. Savage. Super savage. That's it. Oh, my goodness. That's it for better in the book. Not the end of the episode. No, we still got two more segments. <laughs> oh, but, but that, here we go. That is the end of better and that's book. that's most of most of it. Yeah. So let's get into the second part of Muggle questions. Is it me, or did Sirius and Harry's relationship accelerate very quickly? Did the book tell any more about their relationship than the movies did to warrant such a warm and enthusiastic hello? So Sirius and Harry uh, spend a bit more time together in book four. There's more than just that conversation in the fireplace. Yeah. And they, they meet him in person again yes. in, in, in Hogsmeade. And we also see that they correspond through letters much yeah. more than the movies let on. Yeah. 
So, but but I agree that by movie standard, yeah, it, it's, it does it seem seems like, a little like like their relationship kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, there's a lot more in the books. I understand Harry is still a kid. They want to keep him from some of this stuff. But how old is he legitimately in this book slash movie? He's 15. Yeah, <laughs> it's he's fifth year. He's 15. That's how it works. This probably isn't answered in the book, but but maybe you guys know just for being huge fans of Harry Potter. Why does Dumbledore have so many names? What was the inspiration behind that? Do we know? Uh, <laughs> he's a straight ass boss. Yeah. Level one million wizard. He just he does. He it's, just it's, does. it's 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 a it's a quirk of the writing. I assume that yeah. uh, sort of J.K. Well, wanted it's him kind to be. of a, a writing aesthetic. Yes. Kind of a that's, thing. That's what I was kind of the, the word I was looking for. It's a, an aesthetic choice in writing an interesting character. Mm-hmm. Let's give him a bunch of names because that's funny. It also feels also, uh, kind of oldie, tiny, yes, archaic. Because he is like a hundred and something. Yeah. He's very old. He's older than a normal human, yeah, I believe. He's pretty old. Yeah. Do we know what a Nargle is? Or is that something that's explained later on? We have no idea what a Nargle is. They're mentioned like once in the book. The movie yeah. adds them a little bit more or uses them a yeah, couple times. Yeah, the movie times. uses it kind of as a recurring joke. It's- she mentions them in, uh, in relation to the... Uh, mistletoe in the book yes and that's like it and then it's kind of the only time we hear about them there's a bunch of other creatures that she mentions in the book right because luna believes in a lot of stuff that has not been proven to exist yeah because it doesn't (laughs) or does it (laughs) did anybody else find it weird that they had a sign-up sheet for dumbledore's army what are we in colonial times where you have to sign your name to join why couldn't you just say yes i'm in it's a paper trail people come on uh, so we did talk a little bit about the sign-up sheet earlier. Um, it was enchanted, so if anyone who signed their name on that sheet ratted out the DA, the charm would reveal who they were yeah. by spelling the word sneak across their face in really gross pimples. Yeah, so yeah, it's the, they, they had that specifically as sort of a precaution. They don't tell yeah. anybody this, but sort of as a precaution. Mm-hmm. I was curious, did the book explain why the room of requirements presented itself to Neville. I mean, of all the people, why Neville? Yeah, in the book, as we mentioned earlier, they find out that the room, they find out about the room of requirement from Dobby. Mm -hmm. Um, It doesn't just present itself to Neville. So, all right, better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. I thought starting out in the dried-out playground was creepy and atmospheric. When they do cut all the Dursley stuff, they yeah, it kind of yeah. starts out in a good, interesting visual mm-hmm. place. Uh, um, I also liked that they made a switch for his letter informing him that he's been expelled. They change it to a kind of a howler yeah. type where it forms into a face and talks out loud. I also never realized before this that it was Umbridge's voice. I don't know if it is. I think it is. I thought it was at first, but when I I thought that when it started, because I was like, that sounds like Umbridge, but it, it signed Mephilda Hopkirk, who is the head of enforcement of whatever. Right. So it, the letter says it's Mephilda Hopkirk. In the movie? Yeah. Yeah. No, it does. At the end, it goes, it says like, yours truly, Mephilda Hopkirk. So I assume right. it's her. 
but it does sound it does like Umbridge. Sound like I, Umbridge. I, I thought the same. I wonder if they had her voice it anyway. Yeah, I don't know. It's possible. And like she just read. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I agree. I, I thought it sounded like her, but it does say it's Mufalda Hopkirk writing it, so that would make mm. sense. I don't. I don't know. I, I agree. I thought the same thing. I think the extendable ears are cool looking in the movie. In the yeah. book, they're just kind of described as like skin colored string, mm-hmm. but in the movie, they're like actual ears, which is kind of cool. Although they're less useful. Because in the movie or in the book, they can like snake their way under doors and stuff. Yeah. Whereas with the giant ear on the end, that's not as doable. Um, and you you had, yeah. Um, there was a cool visual thing that I noticed in the first scene when Harry uh, shows meets, up at Grimmauld Place. Shows up at, at Grimmauld Place and he meets Ron and Hermione. Uh, they're both wearing stripes, uh, visually separating them from Harry, who's wearing a solid color, yeah. putting them together. Because, yeah, he feels very... Yeah, he feels abandoned by everybody. He feels abandoned by them and like they've all been sitting around having a great time without him. Yeah, and he's just been stuck at uh yeah, stuck at the Dursleys. Um I also really liked the moment where Crookshanks tries to play with the extendable ears. Because of course. As an owner of cats, <laughs> yes. I appreciate the cat mischief. Yeah. There's a little moment when they go to visit the ministry where Arthur when they when they go through the visitor entrance with there's a phone booth. And in the movie, as the elevator of the phone booth goes down into the ground, the inside part of it does. Mm-hmm. And then in the movie, you see another in- identical yeah, interior one kind of magically come down and replace which it, which is also I like. kind of a Marvel-esque joke. It is, a little bit. And it also just makes sense. And mm-hmm. again, it's not like that the movie just, or the book just doesn't describe what yeah. happens, you know. But yeah. So that could be very well what did happen, what does happen in the world of the book. I just thought it was a, a, a clever idea in the movie. Um, I liked in the movie that when they were at the hearing for Harry and they put it to a vote whether they wanted him to be expelled or not, uh, Mrs. Fig like starts to raise her hand. She votes for Harry. Like, yeah. Like, I thought it was cute. She's like, no. Yeah, it, 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 it was a fun little moment. Uh, we mentioned this earlier. I'm okay with yeah, the prefect subplot I am being too. dropped. I'm I'm fine with it. I, I'm okay with it. I just thought it was interesting. But yeah, it, it definitely is one of those things you would cut when you're yeah. making the cuts. So I, I, I get it. Um, I think the movie made a smart play, a uh, smart idea by having uh, the Seamus conversation when Harry first gets to Hogwarts. Uh, and Seamus is like, hey, my mom doesn't believe you. And I don't my mom didn't want me to come back to school because she thinks you're lying. And, yeah. you know, all this stuff and this drama between Seamus and Harry and the book that all just plays out in the dormitory mm-hmm. with just like Neville, Dean and Harry and Ron there. And in the movie, it plays out in the common room with like all of the yeah. Gryffindors there. Yeah. And I thought and that everybody's was everybody's there. Everybody's watching it. I thought that was a smart idea because mm-hmm. it kind of increases Harry's sense of like. Yeah, his, like, anxiety uh, everybody, his anxiety like, of like, like, yeah, everybody's against yeah. him. Even if half the people didn't buy in, it still would feel that way. And so yeah. I thought that was a smart idea. Um, that first class with Umbridge, when somebody sends a magic paper bird flying around the room <laughs> yeah. and she reduces it to ash. Yeah. Good character moment for her. Mm-hmm. Also, the fucking defense against the dark arts I missed textbook. This. It looks like the picture on the front is like a like a Dick and Jane esque, oh, like a nineteen fifties. Yeah. yeah, like <laughs> it's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Uh, I, this is a little thing that I just noticed this time is that Umbridge has a like a picture of a framed picture yeah. of uh, Cornelius Fudge, the Prime Minister, on her desk, which yeah. I thought was you know <laughs> clever. 
Um, I'm also okay with Quidditch subplots getting the axe. Yeah. It does eliminate some character development and some interesting things, but, but yeah, in the, I, in I the grand scheme of things, it's, I'm yeah, okay with it's it. one of the first things you gotta gotta got gots to go. I think it makes more sense for them to learn about Thestrals in class and the stuff we talked about earlier, yes. but I like more time with Luna and Harry. I, I yeah. like Luna and Harry having that moment together. Uh, where she kind of explains what they are and she would be into them. It makes sense for Luna to kind of like be interested in them. We know mm-hmm. she's into like strange creatures. And then the baby Thestral is super cute. Oh, so weirdly cute. <laughs> yes, super cute. This is a little thing that see, this is the kind of little thing that is great for this is a Jake, very JK Rowling type thing that the movie does here. When we go into the Hogshead, mm-hmm. which eventually we'll find out that the barman at the Hogshead is Aberforth Dumbledore. Albus's brother. Yes. We find that out in six, I guess, or seven. I don't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, We see him in this movie for just a second. In the book, it's described. Harry says the bar, the barman looked vaguely familiar to me. Yeah. That's like the line that we get. And then that's the little tease set up in the movie. A goat walks by. Yeah. Behind the bar with Al- Aberforth. And there's a line in maybe it's, it's in, in this book one four. book four it's in book four there's a throwaway line about how Al- Al- albus's brother aberforth got into some trouble for uh something he did with a goat like inappropriate charms with a goat yeah and it's not it's like not that. it sounds like weird but it's not ultimately i don't think it ends yeah. up being like just something else happened it's, yeah i think it ends up being something goofy I don't yeah really but remember. i thought having the goat there was a funny yeah that's a book a, a reader little, easter egg yeah um, I thought it was funny during one of the many montages of there are Umbridge a couple of them, yeah. being Umbridge. She measures Flitwick. Yeah, how tall he is. Well, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. he is, of course, uh, I don't know. I guess he's just a little person. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. Could, yeah. But yeah, he's very short. And uh, yeah, I thought that was a good. Um, yeah, sort of that's a, a little visual representation of, like we said, her sort of bigotry. Yeah, her of like, sort of bigotry. Maybe like maybe there's an implication there that she... Oh, like is he oh, a he goblin could, he or could be like a goblin, goblin or, or, a, or yeah. a dwarf or something. Something, yeah. Um, I also really like that there's a couple references in the movie to Umbridge making rules about boy-girl interactions. Mm-hmm. Uh, which yeah, it's is, not mentioned in the book. It's not in the book, but it's perfect because... It has fuck all to do with education, but someone like her would definitely try to control that. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very clear nod to like a certain kind of political sensibility. Yes, absolutely. Uh, And again, with their old fashioned uh, Dick and Jane book and sort of her. Yeah. Um, We Trevor has a question about this, so we'll get to it there. Yeah. We'll We'll, we'll get to that with the Trevor question. Uh, The next one after that, though, there's a good line that's added for the movie. Uh, Hermione has a great line after Harry and Cho kiss and he goes back to the And he tells room. them that it was wet because she was crying and Ron's yeah. like, are you that bad? Which is in the book. That line is. Yeah. But then Hermione says, I'm sure Harry's kissing was more than satisfactory. <laughs> yeah. It's such yeah. a Hermione way it to is. put it. More than satisfactory. <laughs> uh, I'm torn on this because I agree with all the problems with the room requirement and what, what they do with it and kind of how it changes. But I, I don't hate and it's kind of fun in the montage of that messing with filch and the inquisitory squad inquisitorial squad mm-hmm. and like they're trying to get in and then like it turns into a broom closet and and i also kind of like that hogwarts decides because harry has this line about it, it's like how it's like hogwarts wants us to 
fight back or like yeah. it's like and i kind of like that idea of personification or personifying hogwarts a little more mm-hmm. and it is like it's showing neville the thing and being like yeah you guys should use this because this umbridge lady's a nightmare like <laughs> i kind of like that idea if they're gonna cut dobby out that's the way to do it but don't cut dobby out like that's yes bigger thing is they shouldn't have cut dobby out I also think um, when Harry gets into that scene, uh, he gets into the scene in Albus's office um, after uh, he sees Mr. Weasley get eaten by the snake, eaten, bit by the snake, <laughs> whole different storyline, uh, bit by the snake. Yeah. And Dumbledore, the whole movie and in the book, it's it's more explicitly stated in the movie. They're trying to visually play this as much. And Harry says it a couple times, like Dumbledore won't even look at me. Um, but he gets in there and Dumbledore again is doing all of his stuff and he won't look at Harry and Harry yeah, just he's like very pointedly not looking not looking at, at Harry and, and Harry kind of like snaps and yells, look at me. And it's a little eh, it, it plays better overall in the book, but I don't think that that particular scene, I don't think that's terrible shorthand mm-hmm. for sort of the simmering emotions boiling over that we get from yeah. Harry in the book because we get all of the emotions played out and because we get to hear how he's feeling in mm-hmm. the book. It's not the worst way to kind of have that all bubble to the surface in the movie uh again i don't hate it (laughs) that's as bad as good as that's not as good as it gets better in the movie but i don't i don't hate it i thought this is interesting and this goes back to the thing we were talking about earlier where at the end when he gets possessed by voldemort he has to like battle it and and basically he ultimately like pities Voldemort and that causes Voldemort to leave him and he ends up Mm -hmm. not becoming evil or what whatever the implications are there in the movie I feel like it kind of makes more sense that Harry feels like he's becoming evil Mm -hmm. versus in the book. He thinks he literally like is being used by Voldemort like he was the snake because he sees the stuff from the snake's perspective. And he's like literally in the book thinks like he became the snake and somehow got to the now I guess it's not completely outlandish because magic. Sure. Yeah. But it's a little weird to me that he's ultimately they kind of sort that out by like. Ron being like, well, I, you were in bed the whole time. I saw you thrashing forever. And Ginny was like, well, I've been possessed by Voldemort and this does, isn't the yeah. same thing. But I actually don't hate the idea in the movie of it not being like, oh, I'm literally becoming like Voldemort's using me or whatever to like. He he gets this insecure feeling because he's angry all the time and he's mm. upset all the time. He's like, it, is, is Voldemort's sort of evil nature like like seeping into me, me yeah. and corrupting yeah. me as opposed to like literally making me like using me as a snake, turning me into a snake or whatever. Like, is this why I'm so miserable all the time? And it's like, no, you're just a teenager. And there's a little <laughs> bit of that too, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, it's an interesting idea. I don't think it's the world worst. Uh, the movie moves the, the world isn't split into good people and Death Eaters. Yeah, they they have that conversation in person with Sirius as opposed to in the fire. Yes, which is a good change. I think it was a good change because I think it just having Sirius right there with him, it adds a little more gravitas to that moment to let him deliver it in person. And I think it wouldn't have had the impact on the audience if we saw him deliver it in the fire. Even though it does in the book because it's all just reading it. I think in the movie it helps having Sirius be there to kind of really emote and give that line. Uh, I think giving Kingsley Shacklebolt the Shacklebolt that he's got, uh, you know, you may disagree with Dumbledore, but you can't deny he's got style when Dumbledore escapes after mm-hmm. the whole Dumbledore's army fallout uh, in the book. It's Phineas Nigellus's. Yeah. Uh, which is Sirius or one of the portraits. It's one of the previous headmasters who's also like Sirius's great, great, great grandfather or whatever. 
uh, and it was a Slytherin, but it doesn't matter. In the movie, they give it to Kingsley Shacklebolt. I think it was a good change. Yeah. It, it kind of fits in with Kingsley. And since Kingsley is like a double agent, I kind of like, kind of yeah. like that. Um, I liked that the movie showed, however briefly, the mass breakout from Azkaban. Yeah. Um, in the book, we just learn about it through the Daily Prophet. Yeah. So getting to see it was nice. I really like this change. I think this might be the best change this movie or any of the Harry Potter movies has made so far. A bold claim. I, it's it's up there. I, we, there's a couple good ones. They, they, the movies yeah. have yeah. their moments where they do some smart things. But this might be the best one because I think I, I had problems with this in the book. Um, when Harry or when uh, Hagrid takes Hermione and the group or in the movie, he takes Hermione and Harry and Ron to go meet mm-hmm. Grop. In the book, it's just Harry. I like that it's all of them. But on top of that, I like this, that there's this uh, Grop grabs Hermione, yes. picks her up, and Hermione confronts him and is like, hey, put me down. Yeah, she kind of scolds him a little bit. Scolds him, and he puts her down, uh, and then he gives her the uh, the bike Yeah, it's horn, like the handlebars, or, handlebars from a bike it's got a bell on it that you yeah. can ring and he rings it and then they ring it and, and there's this little moment of connection and i think it adds a lot of humanity to grob's character yes especially within the themes of the book that we're going for so much that all of these other yes. non-human <laughs> um you know uh species are a deserving of equal uh rights and respect and all this sort of thing it was very weird to me to where Hermione's reaction in the book is they're just horrified of the fact that Hagrid brought Grop back and they can't believe he did it. And it's just Grop has almost zero. Yeah, he's very animalistic. Yeah, completely animalistic. And he just like ignores them most of the time when they're meeting him and introduced to him. Apparently now he was kind of picking up and which we find out later in the in the book. Mm -hmm. But I think having this moment earlier and having Hermione kind of connect with him a little bit makes a lot of sense so that when he shows up later and now they cut this part, he doesn't say, or does he say Hermie in the movie? I no, can't he remember. Doesn't say it. Okay. So they cut, they set it up, but then they don't pay it off. But um, in the movie or in the book, eventually when they run into him at the end with the centaurs and all that stuff happens, uh, Grop like recognizes her in the book and it's yeah. like, Hermie, where's Hagger? And like, you know, like starts uh, talking to her, but we had no reason to think he even knew who she was before that moment. Right. Whereas I like in the, in the movie, they kind of set that up so that they kind of know it. it we at least see that he kind of like, yeah, I mean, has the, a connection the book, there. I think makes his humanity more of a, a reveal. Yeah. But the movie shows him as more explicitly having, Hum- that humanity yeah. and like having that connection and i also like hermione seeing that in him yeah whereas in the book she's like just again just kind of like horrified at the idea of him being there and mm-hmm. can't believe that hagrid would bring him back and she's like why like he's just a monster like she in in flies in the face of so much of hermione's other exploits in the books of being this champion yeah. for equal I, rights I agree. And you know I what agree. i mean like it just kind of flies in the face of her character um and, and I think it was a, a really smart change. Uh, there's a short scene with Fred and George being kind to a first year. Yeah, who had detention with Umbridge. Yeah. And and they're kind of talking to him. And this is right before they leave. And they're like, oh, you know, it'll be okay. Just do this. Do mm-hmm. I thought it was just a, it's a little thing, but it's one of those little scenes where we don't ever really get anything like that with the twins necessarily. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought that was, I don't know, just a, a, yeah. a, a nice little ad. And, and it's a, a nice nod to the solidarity among the students yeah. as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, and then when the Weasley exit, uh, 
I like that it's the fireworks. So in the book, their exit is uh, in relate uh, follows them setting off the swamp, which mm-hmm. the swamp's interesting and cool, but the fireworks are way more. See, I like bombastic. I like the idea of the swamp, and I get why they changed it for the movie because the fireworks work much better for a visual medium. Yeah. I like the idea of the swamp. Um, I like the idea that it stayed there. Yeah. For so long after they were gone, yeah. and like no one would help Umbridge remove it, and she couldn't figure out how to get rid of it. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, it just stayed. Yeah, that that's that's cool. But I do like the fireworks, and I like the moment where they fly out. And I, I also like this just in general. The, all the educational decrees mm-hmm. hammered into the wall. I think it's kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and when they fly out, they all fall and shatter. Like it's a cool, yeah, no, cool it definitely thing. looks cool. The only other thing that kind of bothered me in the movie was that they didn't plug their new business. Yeah, I thought the same thing. I was like, because in the book, they very explicitly like, come check us out. We're on Diagon Alley. Weasley Wizarding Weezes. <laughs> Special discount to yeah. anyone who's going to use their products to get yeah. rid of Umbridge. Yeah, I wish they would have included that. But yeah, I, I like a lot about how they did the, their sort of uh, yeah big, big exit. And also having that be right before the climax as opposed to earlier in the semester. Cause yes. it makes, uh, cause Umbridge is dealing with all these fireworks. So she ends up getting all dirty and singed and her hair's all disheveled. So then in the final, uh, confront confrontation between her and Harry and them, uh, when she's like considering crucioing students to get information out of them, yeah. her visual appearance. She, visually she looks like she's yes, coming on. She looks, yeah. <laughs> Um, but also speaking of that scene, I thought it was clever of the movie to show one of the cats and one on the cat plates. Yes, when Harry and leaving, Hermione come in. Yeah, to us presumably go notify her, although they took all the portraits down, so wherever it went through. Yeah, I don't who know. knows? But because in the book it's mentioned that she has an alarm. Yeah. But in the movie, yeah, the cat. The cat. Although I strongly object to uh perpetuating negative stereotypes <laughs> about, cat. about cats being evil <laughs> i agree strongly object to that <laughs> i agree i also think the movie makes a smart choice by having hermione just take umbrage to where grop was yeah that because makes a lot of sense in the book they like the, the, it makes an explicit point of saying harry's like we kept going into the forest well past where grop like yeah. we didn't go to where Grop was because he thought maybe that's where they were going, but that's not where Hermione's taking them. Ultimately, she's just wandering into the forest, talking yeah, really loudly, just hoping something, will hoping happen. like the centaurs or something show up. Um, but I, I was like, yeah, absolutely. Why wouldn't she just take them to Grop and hope that like Grop helps them out? So or like it causes yeah. them enough of a ruckus that they can you know get yeah. out of there, and and which is what happens in their movie. So I, I thought that made sense. I was like, what I didn't get that in the book. And then this, we both had this one. Uh, Umbridge gets taken away by the centaurs and as she's being drug away she says uh, tell them I mean them no harm I think is what she says the single most savage line (laughs) in any of these movies yeah I'm sorry professor I must not tell lies it's a great callback it's a great setup and a great callback and it was not in the book and it's a really smart addition Um, and yeah it's a great gotcha yeah so that is really really smart edition uh, i like that they changed the death eater mask in this one i took we talked yeah. about it in four the little skull mask they're kind of creepier in this one with this weird gold to me they just look like less like halloween costumes they yeah. also don't have the big conical the um, dunce caps dunce caps anymore <laughs> so I, I think they just look cooler in this one mm-hmm. and, and more intimidating yeah and we also get a couple seconds of harry and sirius dueling yeah i thought that was cool which isn't in the book there's they have the moment where they're kind of dueling two people together and like going back and forth and Mm -hmm. it's just fun and it wasn't in the book so that's it 
Better than the movie, let's move on to Muggle Question Part 3. The stupefy charm seems to push back the recipient of the charm pretty far. Is that normal? Uh, yes, that is normal. Yes. That uh, is mentioned in the book. Stupefy does knock people back, uh, but it can knock people further based on certain factors. Like mm-hmm. uh, in one point, in one of the later books, Harry picks up multiple wands, I believe, if I remember correctly, and uses them at once. And it like is like a shotgun. <laughs> like it hits like harder <laughs> and they go flying further. I could be I, unless I'm misremembering that. But um, yeah, it does. It does knock people back. And, and and more importantly, which isn't always illustrated in the movies, I don't think it knocks them out like yes. unconscious. Like yeah. it, it like knocks you unconscious. OK, the, the little kid that used the stupefy charm, it worked. But it blew him back as well, like the recoil of a shotgun, except far greater. Does the book explain why that happens? It doesn't seem to have any recoil effect on anybody else. That's why I ask. Um, again, yes. Probably especially for someone who is both small and a beginner. Is that a yes? I would have went with no on that one. Kid gets knocked back by his own stupefy charm? Yeah. Well, we're talking about Nigel here, aren't we? When yeah. When he almost gets knocked into the I fire. would say no. There's no kickback on wands that's not illustrated anywhere in the books i guess not but it seems like a reasonable i don't say i want to say it's unreasonable i've just there's there's no from my memory there's no that never happens in any of the books like being like you know what i mean take your word for it he now he is particularly small but it's magic it's not like I don't know. I, I I was never under the implication that there was any sort of kickback from using m- spells, but um. there could be. I So I, I would go with no on that one, but I, I don't disagree that it there could be. Did Jenny really just dust the dummy when they were going around they're all in the circle practicing the spells? Or did it just like have enough? And then later she dusted something else. Like, is, is she doing it wrong or is she doing it right? Uh, Jenny is using Reducto, which the other people are using Stupefy in that scene. For some reason, yeah. she uses Reducto, which is a spell that like destroys stuff, kind of, mm-hmm. um, or blasts. It's like a blasting spell, basically. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she's apparently wicked good at it. Yeah. So. Yeah, she just destroys that. Uh, they actually all do that in the uh, that last scene in the Hall of Mysteries plays out a little differently. It's not like Jenny using one spell and knocking the entire thing down right. or all the they all are like knocking shelves over to run away in the book. So did the room of requirement just wingman for your boy? Hot dang. And hell yes, the room of requirement uh, just wingman for Harry. <laughs> the room of requirement provides exactly <laughs> what you need at the exact moment you need it. So yep. there you go. Yeah, in the book, uh, it's just there already. Yeah. But in the movie, it's a, it's, a, it's a fun change to have it. Yes. Show up at just the right moment. But there uh, is a fun moment in the book when it's there because Harry and Luna are under it at first. And he's like, oh, Luna's like, oh, look, mistletoe. And he's like, oh, and she's like, there's probably Nargles in it. <laughs> and he's like, oh, OK, cool. Does the book go into explanation on why Sirius ran away from his family? Um, Sirius's family is all like super dark wizards. So Sirius is kind of, um, if you will pardon the pun, because I don't think I have a way around it. He is the black sheep of his family. Yeah. Yeah. They're all super evil. Yeah. Uh, Bellatrix is related to him. Regulus, uh, who they don't mention was a death eater for a while. Um, his, his, yeah, his whole family yeah. was just evil. And his, his, yeah. His mother who we sort of meet through her portrait. 
yeah. in the book. Yeah. Is a, yeah. Her a real portrait's piece not in the movie. I wish it was. Yeah. No, that it's may not. be in a deleted scene, but her, 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 his mom is, yeah, a super bigot and just awful person. So he didn't fit in because he wasn't awful. All right. Movie nailed it. Nailed it. Uh, Big D. Big D. <laughs> Dudley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the super <coughs> stupid, like, white boy gangster clothes. Yes, yes. It, absolutely <laughs> perfect, like, English yeah. thug type look. Um, although there's a moment in the book where he punches Harry because the lights, like, he, when the, the mentor showed up and he doesn't know what's happening, so he just punches Harry. <laughs> and I thought that was funny. And, like, it's, it's like, has no idea. He just, like, swings and hits Harry in the head. And I wish that would have been in the movie. But, yeah, he, he's he's pretty good in his brief moment. We finally see Hag or Harry's Patronus turn into a stag. It's still a little hard to tell, but you yeah. can see it at least. And it actually charges down the Dementors as it has been described to do since the third book. But we have only now just finally seen. Um, <laughs> oh, so stupid. But yeah, they finally get that right. They're like, hey, maybe we should do what the book says because that's way cooler. And I think the design of Grimmauld Place is pretty, yeah, pretty cool pretty and pretty spot on from what I imagined when I read the book. And um, we only get a couple seconds with Creature, but I thought they did a good job with him. Yeah, I think he, he reminds, or he, yeah. I think he looks like how they describe yeah, him. Yeah, old acts, creepy. Like where he's just kind of yeah, like mumbling, mumbling atrocities yeah. all the time. We get more of it in the book of, yeah, he just, because he, and it, the joke is that he like, he mumbles things like under his breath, but everybody can hear him yeah. because he's old and doesn't, you know, he just doesn't, he's like, oh, stupid, filthy mudbloods in my house. But like everybody in the room can hear him. Yeah. He's like everybody's racist grandpa. Yeah. Uh, Miss Fig, I think she was adequately weird in the movie, but mm -hmm. and kind of batty, but eh. Um, she had a good line during the hearing that I was glad that they left in. Mm -hmm. Um, when the when they ask her to describe them, meaning the Dementors, she says, "Well, one of them was very large, and one was rather skinny." Yeah. <laughs> Starts describing Harry and Harry Dudley. And Dudley yeah. I think uh, there's a little brief moment where they're going to the ministry where Arthur is just infatuated with the turnstiles and the, the subway and everything. And it's mm -hmm. like the only time in the movies we really get to see that Mr. Weasley being like, like <laughs> obsessed with muggle, muggle stuff, stuff. Yeah. yeah, which I thought was fun. I also thought the ministry overall was pretty good. Yeah, like yeah, it looked they cool. Portrayed it. Yeah, the the memos flying around in the elevator, the little paper airplanes that fly around. Um, mm -hmm. The guy has the flaming box. They mentioned that guy in the mm -hmm. book. Whereas, yeah. Um, and the elevators being, this is actually a change because they don't mention this in the book, but the elevators kind of working like Wonkavators. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Um, I liked the look of Neville's weird plant. Mimbleus Mimbletonia. Yeah. yeah, it does show up. It looks, it they, looks. They showed it for uh, the briefest of seconds. Yeah. Uh, the like a, a weird cactus. Yeah. The Thestrals look really cool. Yes. They kind of look exactly how you imagine them, like the weird lizardy like, skeleton -y yeah, like things. Corpse horses, kind yeah. of. Yeah, lizard corpse horses. Nailed it. <laughs> Umbridge is pretty great. Uh yeah. I think she's less ugly in the film than she is described in the book. I don't know if you could possibly find someone that ugly in real life. I, I agree. Um Yes, I agree, because <laughs> uh, she's described as looking like a toad and big eyes yeah. and like just and the, the picture of her in the book is very yeah. uh, unflattering. A, a lot of references to her wide toady mouth yeah. throughout and, the book. And in the movie, she's very kind of cute, like or in the movie, like not cute, but like, you know, she's, she looks. I don't know how to describe it. But anyways, she looks like a little old lady who well, not old. No, she's no, yeah. middle, she, she looks like she goes to church. Right. Yeah, she just looks 
vaguely like if you just saw her without knowing anything about her she just looks vaguely pleasant she doesn't look uh, other than how she dresses like yeah. she doesn't look like a an, you know what i mean <laughs> uh, except from how her performance because you can even see her fake smile mm-hmm. you know and like she does such a, and that's what she does such a good job as and that what the movie nails is just the portrayal of the character is like spot on her voice yes. the high-pitched like sort of baby yeah, talking little stupid giggle and the little <clears throat> little cough she does to interrupt people so yeah. that she can talk um, yeah. um, and then her progress for the sake of progress during speech. the opening dinner, she gives her speech, uh, about, yeah, yeah. Progress for this break of progress must be another thing that is very clearly a nod to a real life, uh, political. Yeah. Uh, and we both have this one. We both wrote it separate ways. Mine is Luna period, just Luna and yours is. <laughs> Luna, 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 all capitals. <laughs> we both felt very strongly about it. She yeah. did a really good job. She's perfect. Um, she's exactly, and this is, uh, I, I think I mentioned in the prequel that she may be the best casting mm-hmm. in all of the movies, and J.K. Rowling agrees with me. I saw two things. Uh, one, it is in the same interview. She was talking to the director of the film. One, uh, she said that Luna is the only character from the movies that has influenced how she writes the character mm. wrote the character in the books. She mm-hmm. says when, and and that has, when she thinks of Luna, she thinks of Ivana Lynch's portrayal of Luna. It's like actor goals, right? Um, also way super interesting. Somebody had been writing when they found out somebody had been writing JK Rowling letters. She said they've been getting letters from this girl who said, mm-hmm. I'm like, I am Luna. Like I, I'm just like her, blah, blah, blah. Like who had read the books and was like obsessed with Luna and or read the fifth book and was like obsessed with her mm-hmm. and um, had been writing JK for months or something like several letters over the course of a couple months. And then they, they did this audition where they auditioned like 12,000 yeah. girls or it whatever. It was like an open audition. Yeah. Wasn't and they it? auditioned, to over 10,000 actresses for the for the role and the one who ended they ended up getting they they came to J.K. Rowling and said we have our Luna it's Ivana Lynch and she goes Ivana Lynch and it was the girl who had been writing her letters (laughs) saying like I am Luna this character is me that's like the most insane thing yeah yeah I thought that was wild uh, I thought the Umbridge versus the Harry scene in the first uh, Defense Against the Dark Arts class where we're kind of introduced to Umbridge mm-hmm. a little bit um, and, and Harry blows up at her. I, it was like the dialogue's like ripped word for word pretty yeah. much from the book. Yeah. And it's pretty spot on. And uh, then her office. Yeah, with all the cat plates and the pink everywhere and <laughs> yes. ugh, everything. Um, and the way that her <laughs> evil blood quill works. Yes. She's a straight up sadist. Yeah. Like she's straight evil. In she, this. No, she is. She gets off on causing pain. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, absolutely. Yeah. And yeah. And, and the, and the quill, it's kind of exactly how you imagine mm-hmm. and how that works with the, the detention. I think Sirius's head in this one, uh, when he shows up in the fire, looks a lot closer to what I imagine. Yeah, it's definitely way better than, than what the they Coles did thing. The first it's still, it's still not. I mean, I still just imagine their head yeah, in the it's fire, their head poking out of the flames. But it's closer this yeah, time, and 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 it also better. doesn't. He also doesn't do the weird like because he's not like in the coals anymore so it's not they he doesn't have that weird voice inflection in this one which i thought was better and thank god yeah and uh we talked about it a little bit but the conversation after cho kisses harry 
Yeah, with with Ron. With Ron and Ronnie, it's, it's pretty, pretty good. good. Although they don't have Ron do a fist pump like he does in the book, <laughs> which I thought would have been fun. Uh, I enjoyed the uh, the DA lessons. Yeah, the montage of the what DA lessons yeah. with Harry kind of going around and teaching everybody. Yeah, that was good. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was good. And we get lots of different. We actually see them do a fair number of different spells and that sort of thing. <laughs> this is uh, oh, we talked about the tapestry um, at the at the Black Estate. It looks pretty cool in the movie yeah. and kind of how i imagined mm-hmm. it um although i would imagine the, the pictures to be smaller yeah because there would be more of them mm-hmm. because like as we said everybody's interrelated so there's like tons of different family like yeah. kind of on there but uh apart from that i think it looks really cool um and then this one <laughs> the movie nails the fact that snape gives harry about as much instruction in a cl- or get that the mo- in the movie, Snape gives Harry about as much instruction in how to do a clumency as he does in the book, which is none. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, it, it frustrates so me so much. Yeah. Like Snape is a bad teacher. Oh, he's terrible. Like he's not a good teacher. Like you can't just tell somebody to do something. You have to teach, teach them. them. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, he just goes, "Hey, close your mind. I'm gonna try to get into your mind. Don't let me." And like I don't, what? I don't know now if I know how to close my mind. Like I don't. How would you know at fifteen? No, no, no. Here's the thing. I, I, I haven't even done much. I've done a little bit of sort of um, like meditation, meditation, and uh, 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 uh mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, and you absolutely like so you can tell somebody, okay, meditate. All you want to do is you want to focus on. Uh, you want to try to sit and relax and focus on clearing your mind if you just yeah. tell somebody clear their mind that, that is so nothing. useless it's it means useless nothing but there but but when you listen and, and and read about how to actually meditate and how to practice mindfulness the people who are good at teaching have a very specific sort of process about how you go it's not just like clear your mind which yeah. is kind of how snape is teaching a clumency it because he literally says like clear your mind it's like okay you're gonna sit you're gonna focus on your breathing and then as you do that you're gonna try to you know, focus on a little thing like your breath and then and, and then you go from there and you sort of as a, as a, as you feel a thought kind of come into your brain, focus on it, think about it and then try to push it aside. You know, you go through this process of how mm-hmm. you kind of clear terrible, terrible teacher in mm-hmm. this in the instance of a clemency, which fits in with his yeah. character. No, because when somebody tells me to clear my mind, I picture a blank piece of paper. Yeah. But like lined paper. So it's not even clear. <laughs> I think that's a very writerly thing. <laughs> clear your mind, uh, empty paper. <laughs> Something I haven't written yet. <laughs> um, uh, the come quietly line uh, for, for the faults of that scene where they confront Dumbledore and he um, escapes. Mm-hmm. It's a great line in the it book is. and in the movie. And it's there and they, it's word for word there in the movie. Where he's you oh it appears you're operating under the false pretense that I'm going to what's the phrase come quietly or something like that <laughs> I have no intention of doing so um, this is a badass line yes um, the Hall of Prophecies I totally agree that it is dated CG yeah um, I I do like the look of it generally it's, oh it looks cool yeah, yeah it's pretty much how I imagined it yeah yeah I agree big dark creepy hall giant yeah, yeah I agree it looks it looks in the yeah although you know awful lot of prophecies for a world in which true seers are supposed super to be rare. rare that's the only thing i would only say that is that i don't imagine it to be quite so grand i didn't yeah. imagine it to be quite so like 
hundred feet tall ceilings <laughs> with that literally hundreds of thousands of prophecies. Oh, maybe they just like never throw them out. Yeah, this could be from all the way through time. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Bellatrix Lestrange, uh, apart from some of the writing issues mm-hmm. uh, with and cutting like some of her more cruel moments from the book and the whole weird part where she whimpers, um, the portrayal and and it's uh, what's her name? It's Helena Bonham. Carter. She's great. Yeah. Uh, and she she plays she does, that. She does crazy real good. She does that real well. Uh, it's not really a stretch for her. I, well, I don't mean that in terms of her as an actress. I mean, <laughs> from her other roles, it's right. not exactly a stretch from other stuff yeah. she's done. Uh, but I, she does a great job at it. So, And, and, I, and, and the look is uh, kind of exactly the sort of deep set dark eyes. And she looks, she's pretty, but like creepy, like yeah. pretty, like, yeah. And then from finally for me, uh, I thought the book na- or the movie nailed the Luna and Harry moment at the end, and they even added a line. I think at mm-hmm. least I don't remember it from the the book uh, where her, uh, Luna says to him, "Things we lose have a way of coming back to us in the end." Well, she says, "My mom always told me yeah. things we lose have a way of coming back to us in the end." That was a really nice moment, you know, mm-hmm. especially as it relates to Sirius having just lost or Harry having just lost Sirius. Um, and yeah, I think it was a good addition. Yeah, it's, and, a, it's a nice moment. And I just think their interaction's really great. And I loved it in the book and I liked it in the movie. But I'm a Harry and Luna shipper. Get yeah. out of here, Jenny. So. <laughs> hey. I have no problem with Jenny. She's fine. Well, in, the, in the book, she's milk toasted best in the movies. Yeah. But. She, but I'm a Luna Jenny shipper. So. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I can get on board with that. All right. Muggle questions. Part four. The whole disappearance of Dumbledore with Fox the Phoenix, did the book explain how that happened? And the answer to this very well may be magic. Uh, Magic is the answer to that question because Dumbledore is a boss. Yep, pretty much. Um, In the book, it's slightly different. He uses a spell first Mm -hmm. to sort of, as we mentioned, knock out everybody in the room other than the kids or the people on his side uh and then he talks to everybody and then he grabs fox and flies away they kind of combine that all into one action in the yeah. movie which it looks cool it's fine but yeah it's just just magic do we know what happens to umbridge after the centaurs take her away in a very creepily fashion all right so here's where <laughs> things get real dark boys and girls yeah um we're never explicitly told what happens to Umbridge no. with the centaurs. There is a scene at the very end it, where she's in the hospital wing and she's like traumatized. Yeah, and Dumbledore, because Dumbledore walks into the forest and saves her. Yeah. It's not in the movie. But yeah, we don't know for sure. So we don't know for sure, but... <sighs> yeah. As per Greek mythology, centaurs have something of a reputation for carrying women off and ravaging them yeah so yeah there's that implication i would feel like the implication in the book is more of that they took her to like stand trial for um insolence or whatever for like insulting them yeah you know what i mean centaur trial this kind of the feeling you get but also yeah it you never mean don't in the movie they don't say anything right. so in the in the book they're very clearly like offended by her like insulting them and you know what i mean they're like yeah. they're talking to her and there's like a back and forth and they're like how dare you but uh yeah okay they said the prophecy so fast and they only said it like twice can you reiterate what the prophecy is i don't have the luxury of going back and reading i guess i could rewind but i'm lazy so the whole prophecy isn't in the movie. Uh, we just hear a glimpse of it. That's also mm-hmm. not when we hear it in the book. In the book, uh, it smashes and nobody hears it. 
Yes. And nobody hears is it. Uh, but since it was told to v- Dumbledore, he has a memory of it right. and shows Harry the memory in yes. the pensive. So Harry is able to hear it in its entirety, in its entirety. later. It, yeah, after he gets back to Hogwarts. Here it is in its entirety. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord approaches, born to those who have thrice defied him, born as the seventh month dies, and the Dark Lord will mark him as his equal. But he will have power the Dark Lord knows not, and either must and either must die at the hand of the other, for neither can live while the other survives. The one with the power to vanquish the Dark Lord will be born as the seventh month dies. So that's the whole thing. Yes. Also, did we... The movie doesn't... I can't believe we left out of better in the book, Neville. To be fair, we did cover a lot in Better in the Book. But that's a big one. It is a big one. Holy shit, how do we miss that? So part of what's important about the prophecy is that it could have been indicating Neville. It could have been Harry or Neville, because they were both born at the same time. uh, Like around the same time at the end of July. And they both had parents who... They both had parents who defied Voldemort. Yeah, three times, apparently. Yeah. And, uh, but... Part of it that makes the reason it is Harry now is that it, the line about Voldemort will mark him as his equal. Yes. Voldemort thought it was Harry and tried to kill him mm-hmm. because Voldemort didn't have the whole prophecy. And that's I think we have yes. a question about it here yeah. in a second. Yes. So here's your second question. Why was it so important that Voldemort have the prophecy? Why, why was that such a big deal for all the Death Eaters and Voldemort to grab it? When Voldemort heard the, about the prophecy, he didn't hear all of it. Yeah. Um, so now he wants it to see if there's any more information that he needs because he doesn't understand why what happened. Mm-hmm. And like he, he thinks if he gets this prophecy, he'll be able to put together the pieces and figure out what what caused his downfall. You know, what else in this prophecy might I be able to use? Um, but he didn't hear the part in the prophecy about he will mark him as his equal. Mm-hmm. So. That's yeah. So he has no idea he picked his poison. Yeah, he could have picked Neville. Could have been dealing with Neville. He could have picked nobody. He could have picked nobody. Yeah, that's the other thing. He doesn't know that him doing that was part of what created. Yeah, I mean that's what set it in motion. Exactly. So uh, it is Harry. It's not Neville anymore. But it could have been Neville. Mm -hmm. Um, So that that's another thing that the movie just completely glosses over. In the big fight scene at the climactic part of the movie, what is the archway? What 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 was that? Um, unclear. Yeah. To me, there's an implication that it's some kind of, like, gateway to the afterlife. I mean, it, they do call it the veil. Yeah, and it's the death room. Yeah. Is what that room is referred to by Dumbledore and Harry and a couple mm-hmm. other people later, is that it's the death room. Um, I always just sort of saw it as a visual metaphor for death. Yeah. I mean, passing through the veil is, or yeah. beyond the veil, like, yeah. that's, you know, a pretty, you know, the veil is, the, you know, that's a pretty common uh symbolism or you know anal- not mm-hmm. an analogy but whatever metaphor for death or dying and that sort of thing so yeah that's always just how i kind of saw it and sort of like it's like a physical manifestation of that somehow that they found probably some ancient thing that they're yeah. studying and yeah maybe as a way to talk to people who are dead because you hear voices behind it which i don't know how much of that we get in the movie but harry and luna both specifically can hear voices on the other side of the veil yes. she does mention that in the conversation yeah so She's, possibly yeah. something similar to the thestrals like maybe you had to have witnessed death to and be able to you hear can the voices hear, yeah. who knows who, yeah and we don't ever learn any more no, about that, that which is so. kind of interesting because i kind of yeah. definitely people speculated that that was going to be an important yeah. thing at some and somehow but it never comes back. never comes back which is kind of disappointing but I get it. At the end of the movie, are we supposed to believe that those were Luna's shoes hanging in the archway? 
And then again, the the, the Nargles did did that. That 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 was the that was that. Uh, yes, those are Luna's shoes. Yeah. Um, Trevor's really hung up on the Nargles. Yeah, really interested here. in the Nargles, not the Nargles, Trevor. <laughs> Uh, it was other students. Uh, in the book, it's more. I, in she's, I think she says this in the movie. Um, but uh, students, because they they pick on her because she's different. Yeah. Uh, and they take her stuff and you know hide it and whatever. And so mm-hmm. that's what she's doing. She's trying to find it because she's like, normally she's like, I don't mind, but it's the last day, so I kind of need my stuff back. <laughs> um, so it's other students were being jerks and put her shoes yeah. up there. And Harry ends up in the books. I uh, mentions how he kind of feels bad for her. Um, that you know she gets picked on and that sort of thing so all right we got a few general notes that we're gonna wrap this up with before we hit our final verdict not that you're sticking around for the final verdict it's the rest <laughs> of it the final verdict's known already yeah we don't need a prophecy for mm-mm, that one mm-mm. Um, so I had this thought when I started rereading this book. So Harry is a Horcrux, yeah. which as we learn in following books means that Voldemort put part of his soul into Harry, not intentionally, but doesn't really matter. So my question then is, if a Dementor was successful in kissing Harry, what would happen? I would think that it would destroy that... That Horcrux. You think so? I would think that would be one of the ways you could destroy a Horcrux if it's... In a person? In a person and a Dementor is involved. Because that That would would, make sense. I feel like one of two things would happen. Either it would destroy the Horcrux, like you said, or it would suck out Harry's soul and he would just be like a partial Voldemort. (laughs) It's true. Possible. Not sure. Maybe I'll tweet JK. Yeah, ask her about that. That's a good question. I want to know. I thought that was a fun question. (laughs) In this book, they specifically tell when they come to rescue Harry from uh, the Dursleys, Mm -hmm. they say, you're too young to apparate, so we're going to take brooms Mm -hmm. to fly back. But in literally the next book, he side-by-side apparates everywhere with Dumbledore. Yes. And eventually, they do it with Hermione. Yes. So that's just like an obvious retcon, yeah, to right? Yeah, me that seems like a, a pretty, like, she like, she was like, oh, I'm just going to have them be able to do this yeah, thing. Yeah, she was like, I need Dumbledore and Harry to be able to get places quickly. Yeah. That aren't, and not just fly by brooms. So, and it would make more sense if, like, Dumbledore could do it, but then Hermione can do it as well. Right. So it's like, that was just like a convenience type of thing. So I thought that was interesting, because, yeah, they specifically, you're too young to apparate, and we can't take you with us i guess because we don't okay. know about that yet yeah. <laughs> uh, arthur weasley mentions in the book he mentions plumbles because he doesn't know what plumbers are but wizards have pipes why don't they know it why don't they have plumbers maybe even if they're magic plumbers i don't know that's a weird one maybe to me they just don't call them plumbers maybe what would they, they call them i don't know they use other regular words they most of their <laughs> english most of their language is like normal words why is plumber a weird one even if again even if they use magic to do it they're still plumbers they have pipes they call it plumbing <laughs> why don't they? Like, what do they, what do they call it if they don't call it plumbing? Do they just call it, like, the pipes? These are all really good questions. I'm just saying. It doesn't make any sense. I was really confused by that. Oh, it was hmm. really weird to me. Is maybe, is there a medieval term for plumbing that we don't know about? Maybe they call it that. Maybe. Maybe. Also, 
Do British people never bathe? <laughs> Maybe wizards never bathe because they don't have plumbing. Uh, yeah, because, okay, because Harry's getting ready for his trial. Mrs. Weasley comes in and goes, Harry, we want to wash your hair for the trial tomorrow. <laughs> and I'm like, do you... Do you not do that at least every couple days or like what is happening? Okay, now I want to to be fair here. He is 15. Okay, and fair enough. And sometimes teenagers have an issue with that. Fair enough. I guess that's it maybe. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It just was weird to me. I was like when I was a teenager I showered every day, every morning before school. So I I thought that was weird, but uh, maybe I was weird. Also, and they dropped the prefect storyline, mm-hmm. but they're all super proud of Ron for being made a prefect. And I did some fucking math to shit on Ron's <laughs> dreams <laughs> or Ron's accomplishments. They're like, oh, my God, you're a prefect. That's everybody in the family. Uh, discounting uh, Fred and George. But here's the thing. There's a boy and a girl prefect mm-hmm. for every house mm-hmm. in the fifth year. Mm-hmm. We know from what we can kind of gather, there are five, six boys in Gryffindor. There's Harry, Ron, Neville, uh, Dean, and Seamus. Dean and Seamus. So there's five. There's Sorry. five. There's five boys in Gryffindor. We'll assume uh, in 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 uh, girls, it's Hermione, Parvati, or yeah, Parvati, oh, Lavender, yeah. Um, Katie, or no, not uh, La- whoever Lavender's friend is. Uh, or no, it's Lavender and Parvati are yeah. the friends. So there's. Do we not know any other? We might not know any other. We might just know yeah. Hermione, Lavender, Pravati. We might just know the three. I feel like there's at least one there's more. Probably. So let's say there's more. five. Yeah, let's say there's five each. So that's, and let's say that's the same for every house, and each house has one. You're, you're it's a one in five chance of True. being the prefect. Yeah. That is pretty good odds. It is not like and some outlandish. Also, Dumbledore. I feel like the obvious answer to this was to not make either Harry or Ron a prefect. Yeah. Like, Dean, why not Dean? Dean Thomas should have absolutely been the prefect. <laughs> like, I, will go to, I will go to bat for Dean Thomas right now. Dean Thomas should have been a prefect. Dean Thomas absolutely should have been the prefect. It, yeah. It, but also, it's just so silly to me. They're like, oh my God. It's like, yeah. One in five chance, man. One in five and I, chance. And like three of the people you were up against were Harry Potter, who causes trouble all the time. Neville. Who's, Neville. Neville. And Seamus, who's always setting things on fire. Yeah. You really had, like, you were competing against Dean. You beat Dean. Probably because racism. Like So, way to fucking go, Ron. <laughs> oh, it's so silly. Uh, so in the book, when we first meet Umbridge at Hogwarts, there's a mention that she's wearing an Alice band, which I had to look up. Yeah, I don't know what that is. It's a headband. It's like a British term for a headband. Okay. Derived from Alice in Wonderland. Interesting. What I thought was interesting was that when I looked it up, and maybe if we have any listeners in England, they can tell us this. They can confirm this for me or deny it. It seems like they have kind of a negative connotation, hmm. like a goody two shoes type yeah, of a I, thing. I, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, also, another thing I noticed in this book, Harry makes an offhand comment. He says, there's the bell. There are bells at Hogwarts. Yeah. I always thought that was weird. Cla- what are, are they? Are they like like normal school bells or yeah. are they like is it like the westminster like, or like the does, is it like the the big bells or is it like a ringing bell i would imagine it's like, like big ben 
But also, there's a staff room. Yeah. It's so mundane, it's almost weird. (laughs) But also, I want to know about the teacher's lounge at Hogwarts. It's probably just like... (laughs) Your fascination with this is delightful but to me it just seems like it would just be like any other room like there's some chairs and but, stuff. okay and maybe i'm not fully understanding this because i've never been to boarding school and that's like not a thing that's ingrained in our culture yeah but the teachers all live there oh yeah like they all true. have their own living quarters yeah but they just have a room where they go like yeah like, where, where they, they go, go like, work together or chill they... and drink wizard coffee in well, between I, classes i would think that like if they need to like talk about stuff you know like just yeah, like a boardroom yeah, type yeah. of like a meeting room it kind of makes sense it's still like it's so mundane like to me yeah no i get it like it's so ordinary yeah to have bells and a teacher's lounge i get it the bells one i i agree it's weird it's it's strange it's just i want to you never hear it in the movie and i just want to know what the yeah. bell at hogwarts sounds like <laughs> um ran, is a little thing random in the movie luna has a hunk of raw meat in her purse weird right like or is does she just have it or are we supposed to believe that she like brought it there specifically for the festival you would think she would did but why did she bring it fruit first i don't know i mean i know visually because she's talking about how things are different like she's like oh it looks like a horse give it an apple but nope because she has some line about how being different and whatever yeah she just has raw meat in her purse maybe it's for nargles yeah could be maybe it keeps the nargles away could be i don't know uh, so there is a tiny subplot in the book about Hermione knitting and leaving out hats for the house elves to trick them into being set free. Which means that my question that I raised yeah, you're when right. we were reading Chamber of Secrets, I don't remember if we actually talked about it on here, but I, I, I raised this I question and now it still stands. Can house elves do laundry? I don't know. Because apparently if they pick up, accidentally pick up these, yeah, at least Hermione like, thinks. Oh, no, they do because Dobby is taking because, them. Yeah, Do- yeah, and he says that all of the other house elves don't want to clean Gryffindor Tower yeah. because they're offended by it. Yeah. So can house elves do laundry? It would appear not. Okay, but she, they, they say that they're offended by it, but it doesn't necessarily specifically say that they would be set free. Just that they are offended by the fact that she's leaving these clothes out. As like yeah. a tr- and trying to trick them basically. Yeah, I guess I just maybe I'll, maybe this is another thing. It's another thing you gotta tweet. JK because I need to know because here's the thing. Not that I endorse indentured servitude, I absolutely do not. But if you were gonna have an indentured servant, you would want them to do laundry. <laughs> yeah, laundry's the worst thing. It's up there. <laughs> very high on the list of bad annoying things you have to do around the house so yeah but also like how much cleaning do house elves actually do wizards have cleaning spells why would you need a house elf to like manually clean your house yeah i don't know okay yeah i all agree right. yeah okay. i'm on board with all of your questions here Okay, I'm sorry. I had thoughts. No, I agree. I'm agreeing with all these. Um, All right. So another thing that I noticed. So in this book, we get Hermione starting to say Voldemort. Yeah. Whereas previously, she's always said, you know who. And it's been like, it's like a turning point in the book for Harry of like. Yeah. 
with, with with his relationship with her, he knows she's serious because she's saying Voldemort right. or whatever. But here's the thing. It doesn't really make any sense for Hermione to be so afraid of saying Voldemort. I agree. Because that's a cultural thing that yeah. would come from being raised in the wizarding world, which she wasn't. No. And, like, she could read books and realize that everyone calls him you-know-who, but why would she be so afraid yeah. of the name? Yeah. Doesn't make any no, sense. No, I agree. It doesn't make any sense because, yeah, it's a thing where, yeah, you grow up and all your parents and all your family and all your friends always, everybody says you-know-who. Yeah. Sure. But even if, yeah, even if you're reading a book, yeah, it would be one thing if she said it to, like, fit in or, like, to be polite. But it's very yeah. explicit in the book that she, like, has a hard time yeah. saying Voldemort. And she, like, has to, like, you know, steady herself to say it, kind of. And, and yeah, that doesn't make any doesn't sense. Doesn't really make any sense. She's also smarter than that. Like, yeah. You know, she's not yeah. superstitious. Like, uh, I think, and I, I have this complaint overall with the books. I think it would have been really interesting and cool to have a couple Slytherin in the DA. It would have. In Dumbledore's army. Like, they're, they can't all be awful. That's not how they're described. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's not how I feel like JK would necessarily has them written. Well, they, as portrayed in the books, they, the only ones we ever meet are pretty much, except yeah. for later. I think in the seventh book, there is a slight mention that there are some Slytherin who stay and fight with there might the rest be. of the I school, if I remember correctly. But it would have been one of those moments, and we talked about this at one point, of to have a few Slytherin who mm-hmm. aren't. Yeah, it, off, it, it is awful. It is a weakness of the books in general, and it does kind of undermine some of the thematic The thematic messages. elements of, of unity and yeah. all this sort of stuff. And it's like, yeah, you have a couple of them that are like, yeah, you know, want to yeah. be in the DA. Um, okay, so the Quidditch subplot got cut, which means that the Weasley is our king song also got cut, which yeah. is the song that the Slytherins made up to make for, um, to, to unnerve Ron yeah. as he was playing Quidditch. Um, but there's one point in the book where Malfoy says that they wanted to add verses about Ron's mother to the song, but they couldn't find rhymes for ugly and fat. Now, ugly I can buy, but really, Malfoy, you couldn't think of a rhyme for fat? Yeah. You couldn't think of a rhyme for fat? <laughs> so maybe Hogwarts does need some educational reform. Apparently. Well, Malfoy appears to be barely literate. They don't take English. They don't take any of the normal classes that they would need (laughs) as a human being to live in the world. They don't take writing. They don't take that education stops at 11. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we find out in this. I don't remember if it's in the book, maybe, but in the movie, Mm -hmm. they show Luna's uh, Patronus and it is a wild rabbit. Just like mine. So there's that. Apparently, it's a Ravenclaw thing. <laughs> um, also, in the movie, this isn't a thing because McGonagall is in the scene where Dumbledore runs away and escapes and, uh, and is confronted mm-hmm. and runs away. In the movie, McGonagall's not there. In the book, McGonagall's there and she pulls out her wand because um, they say, like, uh, really, Dumbledore, you against seven, like, you against me, Umbridge, Fudge, Shackleball, yeah. like, everybody there or whatever. Uh, and, and, McGonagall goes, well, he won't be alone and pulls out her wand and Dumbledore is like, no, 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 I would be. All right, I will be. Um, But after this whole thing goes down and Dumbledore runs away, like, why does Umbridge just let McGonagall stay? uh... She actively was like, I'm gonna fight you. 
with Dumbledore. Right, and like, you'd think that that would be one of the first things Umbridge would any do. Any excuse to get rid of get McGonagall. Get rid of McGonagall because any she is, excuse. Once Dumbledore's gone, she is the number one threat. Yeah. To Umbridge. Yeah, and it's not like Umbridge has any sort of. She has no the flimsiest possible excuse she can find. Yeah. She, will, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. doesn't matter. Like, yeah, and she said, "Oh yeah, you were when Dumbledore escaped. You were there, ready to fight for him. You're out of here. Like, <laughs> why would she let her stay? It doesn't make any sense." Uh, you can add this to the Snape isn't a good guy pile and is overly celebrated post books. Uh, he stops giving Harry acclimacy lessons. We talked yeah. about it, but he's uh, he's he so is, super he embarrassed. He does and, a lot of awfulness during those lessons. Yeah, but like for real, dude, you're a grown ass adult. Yeah. Suck it up. Yeah, keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yes, I agree. And again, he he comes off way better in the movies than he does in the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, on rewatching and rereading, I'm much more like screw you in the books. Yeah. Uh, in the movie, he doesn't have as much screen time, and so we don't get to see him be as vile mm-hmm. as he is in the books. They make a comment about this in the book when they get to the ministry at the end, and they show up, and Harry's like, "There's no security here." Because he thinks there's gonna, they go through the security desk, but the security's not there. Why is there zero security at the ministry at night? They just um, completely empty out the most important governmental building, the only governmental building that they have that we know of. The arrogance of wizards. Yeah, it's I like what? I, what? Okay, <laughs> there's no security. Um, that was interesting. Harry really wants to walk through the archway. Mm-hmm. That we talked about in the death room. Uh, it talks to him, and he says he has feels this weird desire to just walk through yeah, the like archway a pull towards it sort yeah. of this unnatural pull and i thought there's some interesting implications there uh since we do think it kind of is symbolic of um death obviously mm-hmm. and sort of and dying and that sort of thing and, and that he, he can hear the voices and I, i'm wondering if there aren't in some implications there uh especially with what we know of voldemort being in sort of the everything he's dealing with uh, some sort of vague allusions to like suicidal yeah to some extent yeah i mean now it's never touched on again really it's never i don't know i just thought it was interesting it's a very specific pointed line to say he had this strange desire and he seems to be the only not the only i guess a couple of other people are staring at it Mm -hmm. but he kind of starts walking up to it i don't know i thought it was interesting and this is silly and weird and it's not in the movie but one of the death eaters in the final battle uses a uh i can't remember what it's called but the dancing leg jinx on neville (laughs) To where like, Neville's legs just dance constantly and he can't stop. And I'm like, like... Like the one Death Eater who was uncomfortable fighting children. Yeah. <laughs> like, what, what is that? You're a Death Eater and you're like, you know what? All right. I, they're all wrestling. We're like shooting Nevada cadavers at him and yeah. like kill, you know, whatever. And he's like, you're going to dance for hours. <laughs> like, what, like what, is, what is that? It's such a weird... I, it just made me laugh. I'm like, why would you do that? That's so strange. Um, speaking of Neville, uh, in the final battle, um, and I've, I've seen speculation about this before, so this is, this is not a unique idea that I came up with, but he specifically says that he was using his dad's old wand. Yeah. So possibly why he wasn't very good at magic. Yeah. Leading up to, I mean, really for these first, like, five books yeah, although he does get a lot better in this yeah one he does with that wand but, but yeah you know as per wizard lore the wand chooses the wizard yeah. so if you're not using a wand specifically meant for you your magic isn't going to be isn't as, as good. good yeah so. yeah it's interesting yeah because yeah and he ends up losing it it breaks her yeah it breaks yeah, in this one um uh, so my, my very final thought here um <laughs> we're gonna go out on this one <laughs> 
Is it? It's. I guess it was just me because I brought it up to you, and you I, didn't. You didn't feel the same way about nope. it that I did. I thought seeing Voldemort's bare arms was really weird in the final duel where because yeah, his... he holds his wand up over his head, and you see the entirety of his pale ass bare arms, and I felt like I was seeing something that I wasn't supposed to. Like I was very uncomfortable with seeing Voldemort's bare arms. This did nothing for me. I, no, I, I, was, I was very uncomfortable and unnerved by it. I didn't like it. I, I got nothing. I, I, I'll just, yep, sure. No opinions on that. No opinions on that okay. one. I didn't strike me in any way whatsoever. Final verdict. No. <laughs> Are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. I mean, it's the book. Yeah, it's the book. It's way the book again. Yeah, it, eh, yeah. I, I I said this about Goblet of Fire. I'm gonna say it again, like possibly even more for this one. I could not imagine following this movie not having read the book. No, I, I agree, not at all. It, it's it's. I mean, I could imagine watching it, and we kind of talked about this, and going, yeah, I enjoyed that. Yeah. That was good. I kind of got generally what happened. But like I would be if I thought about it and started thinking, I would have so many questions. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. If what? having if you hadn't read the books, you absolutely couldn't watch this and think critically about it in any way. No. Yeah. Or or you would have to have somebody who had read the books. And and maybe yeah. that's what they're counting on. Is yeah, that maybe. I'm sure that's part of what they're counting on is that they can they can leave some of that stuff out because everybody knows somebody who read the books mm-hmm. and will be happy to give you all the you know what I mean? <laughs> we'll be more than happy to share all the information that you didn't get. Um so I, I would imagine that's part of it. Yeah. It, also at this point everything was on the internet. Yeah. You can just look yeah. it up. Yeah, so I'm sure that's part of it, but yeah, it, it is kind of like, how, yeah. how? It's, none of this makes sense. Without... And apparently you can get really hung up on Nargles yeah. if you haven't read the books. I so. would never have thought of the Nargles, but yeah. Trevor had some questions about Nargles. <laughs> <laughs> All right, our next episode is going to be... Uh, we're going to do our Halloween, Halloween episode, episode and it's going to be a short story because we've got to start reading Half-Blood, Half-Blood Prince. Prince. Uh, so we're going to be doing The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, mm-hmm. which I've never actually read. I've never so seen or read. So I am. I, I know the story. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Um, it's not a unique story. We'll talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're so we're going to do that and we are going to watch. The Johnny the Depp Johnny one, right? Depp yeah. Movie. And I'm already very excited about it because the tagline is heads will roll. Woo! Puns. So, puns on puns. Already really just super stoked about that. Cool. Uh, in the meantime, if you could do us a favor and rate, review us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you download and listen to our fine podcast, uh, we really appreciate that. Also, check us out on all the social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Goodreads reddit we have a subreddit r slash this film is lit uh all those places you can find us katie posts fun memes and engagement stuff so check us out on all those platforms rate and review us like i said and until next time guys gals non-binary and everybody else keep watching movies keep reading books i did that backwards keep reading books keep watching (laughs) movies and keep being awesome unlike our cat